Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the Talking Comics Podcast. It is episode number 346. I am joined this week by Mr. Bob Ryer. Happy belated World UFO Day. Is it really? Well, it according to the Sirens of Scream, it is, yeah. Ooh. Last week it was. Speaking of Sirens of Scream, hello, Melissa. Yo! Yo! And... Who's that over in the corner with a fresh tan back from her <laughs> vacation? Jessica. How the fluff and fluff are you? Are we all good? <laughs> uh, I really didn't get a tan. I didn't get a tan. I'm good. I'm like so pasty. <laughs> do you tan good. at all? I, I do tan, but since I don't really go outside, when I do go outside, I put like a hundred, you know, like SPF a hundred on and I sit under an umbrella with like a hat. <laughs> so, it's probably a good idea. Yeah, yeah, Skin cancer is a real thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so this is the first time I think that we've ever had Melissa and Jessica on the same show. Is that correct? Yes. I think it is. Oh think so. man, does anybody anybody smell smoke? I smell danger. Smoke. <laughs> <laughs> gonna be a good one. In the danger zone now. It is gonna be a good one. Uh, we have a couple things going on for you this week. We are going to review. Ant-Man and the Wasp just came out this past weekend. I'm choking on my own saliva. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, let's see. We got some comic books. And uh, we're going to say goodbye to a dear friend as well, uh, which I think we're actually going to do now rather than saving it for the end of the show. I have um, you bring everyone into the into the depths of Into despair. the abyss. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, yes, but in all in all seriousness, uh, comics lost a legend over the past couple of days. Steve Ditko has passed on. Um, I unfortunately am not a hundred. I am not as familiar with Mister Ditko as say Bob is. So I'm going to let him uh, take over for us on this one. Um, Bob, do you want to say a few words for uh, Steve Ab- Ditko? Absolutely. Steve Ditko was one of the Great iconoclast in, in comic book history, beyond being one of its preeminent stylists. As everyone knows, at this point, he, with Stan Lee, co-created both Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. Originally, he was working with Stan on those monster books in the 50s. And right after they did the Fantastic Four, they were kicking around other ideas. And Stan came up with this idea of, while sitting in his office looking at a bug crawling on his wall... Hey, how about like a Spider-Man? And he gave it to Jack Kirby to draw. And Kirby brought back someone who looked like Captain America. 
<laughs> no, that's not that's not what I had in mind. He's a high school kid. He's just a kid. So he walked over to, to Steve Ditko, who drew angular, lanky, oddly proportioned people, and he gave him Spider-Man, and it changed everything. That's the character that became really Marvel's most successful, most recognized character for all these years. Stan, uh, early on, uh, actually because Steve was a little put off by some of the things that were going on, wrote a, a letter to, to, to Steve, put it into the press, that you know, he acknowledged that he was the co-creator of Spider-Man. And so we're all seeing all those articles, saying that out there. Doctor Strange followed soon afterwards. Just Doctor Strange that really brought Marvel into college campuses in the middle of the sort of psychedelic 60s. He was this character who was sort of hanging loose and doing these odd things in crazy dimensions. And they did black light posters of Doctor Strange in those odd places. And so Steve, with his design sense, with his sense of wonder, changed the way people looked at Marvel. It became then for grownups in a different way. As And then the writing that followed with it. The thing was, early on, by 65, 66, Steve Ditko was ready to move on. And he sort of became the J.D. Salinger of comic books. He virtually disappeared. Hmm. Did some books for Charlton, did Gorgo, which was my first monster movie I ever saw as a little boy, and he did a great comic book for Charlton. Did Captain Adam over there, did the original question in the Blue Beetle books. Eventually come over to, to D.C. No one saw him. He, he, just, he had a studio in Manhattan and just stayed there, did work here and there, even came went to D.C., came back to Marvel at a certain point, and he's the co-creator with Will Murray of Squirrel Girl. Oh. 20, 25 years ago, yeah. I didn't know that. And in all these years since, as you read all the articles and all the tributes to him by folks who loved his work, occasionally spoke to him by phone or got a letter, no one ever saw Steve. When they did pictures of the Marvel bullpen, the only person who wasn't there was Steve Ditko. So there's, there's one picture here and there. You know, there's, there's a, a nearly a full-page obituary in, in Newsday, our Long Island paper, and they, they don't even have a picture of the man. He was that sort of thing. He was, he was his own person, and that's to be celebrated. At, at some level, I think that pulling away at the height of his influence and the height of his fame made him even more special. You quit at the top of your game, in a way. Joe DiMaggio or Jim Brown in, in sports doing the same sort of thing. But without his work on Spider-Man particularly, Marvel Comics wouldn't have been the same, might might not have ever lasted long enough to be what they are now. So Steve Ditko and his amazing work will be well-missed and well-celebrated. Absolutely. Thank you, Bob. I had, uh, I had no idea that he was such a hermit. Yeah. I kind of respect that a lot. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> right. He apparently he was he had passed about a week before they discovered it. Yeah, yeah, I heard it was a couple of days. Yeah. Hmm. But people would, you know, they'd go to his office and uh, Steve, why don't you you can come to the convention? People would love to see you. No, no, uh, no. He was a, a, a follower of Ayn Rand objectivism, and his all sort of work was its own reward kind of thing, and. More power to him. All right. Well, 
he will definitely be missed for sure by by so many people. I've I've been seeing posts about him for the, over the past couple of days. Uh, some really beautiful uh, words and art and everything going out in his memory. So, um, all right, I think we should move on. Um, I forgot at the top of the show. Uh, we also have a little bit of uh, Batman number fifty talk. Just a little bit <laughs> coming for you later on in the show. And um, some other, we have some listener questions. We got a whole bunch of stuff. So we're just going to kind of move around a little bit and see what feels good. <laughs> I think that we should just jump right into lightning rounds. What do you guys mm, think? Sure. All right. Um, Bob, I'm going to ask you to go first. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sounds so surprised, Bob. I don't usually go first, but so what the heck? What the heck? <laughs> All right. Anything can happen. <laughs> All right. You have five minutes on the clock, sir. Go. Well, considering we just mentioned Squirrel Girl, my first book is Marvel Rising, Squirrel Girl, and Ms. Marvel, which is by Devin Grayson, G. Willow Wilson, Ryan North, and art by Irene Strakowski. Now, in this, Doreen Green's computer science student and new and human Ember Quaid has become the rookie supervillain emulator. And with the help of a mysterious online mentor, she's looking to up her bad guy skills. Now, for now, she's still bringing video game characters to life. First, she uses a giant Jaeger creature, then a huge chicken from Complete Fantasy 36. I love where, that. <laughs> uh, a dragon from Sky Scrolls. It's, it's all kind of crazy. And th they absolutely, that's not going to cut it, you know? Uh, in the meantime, Ms. Marvel's friend from work, Inferno, comes to help. And when Squirrel calls in America Chavez, you'd figure things are well in hand. But no, Emulator may have just come up with a big boss that even our heroes can't take down. Now, this... This miniseries has been just charming, and this issue tops all of them so far. Clever, funny, some really nice messaging thrown in, too. And that in this issue, the, the Squirrel Girl half is written by Ryan North, her regular writer, and the Ms. Marvel side by G. Willow Wilson. It's like getting bonus lives or something. <laughs> but I'm saying. Very clever, Bob. Hey, thank you very much. Good job. Then, from uh, our friends at Dynamite, it's Elvira, Mistress of the Dark by David Avalone and Dave Acosta, and they were the team on Doc Savage Ring of Fire back in the day. Colors by Andrew Koval, letters Taylor Esposito, and of course, it, this has been licensed by Queen Bee Productions. Cassandra Peterson, very smartly, 30-some-odd years ago, when she sort of got bounced from the local L.A. station, bought the rights to Elvira. So all these years, when you've been buying beer cans with Elvira on them, or T-shirts, or Halloween costumes... Cassandra Peterson's been getting a check. And that's just awesome. Here is a story called Elvira Time Scream. And first of all, David Avalon is the writer who crafted the Betty Page mini that I enjoyed so much. And since that story was a neat what-if sort of thing that beautifully captured all that made Betty Page an icon, this new mini kind of does the same for, for Elvira. The plot in brief, much like Elvira's dress, is this. <laughs> Well, well, making a really cheap horror film, Elvira goes back to her very modest trailer where instead of a bottle of Dom Perignon that she's craving, she finds 
uh, a maelstrom of a mysterious vortex that sends her back in time and space to Lake Geneva, Switzerland in the year 1816 and the gathering of Lord Byron, Percy Shelley, and Mary Wollstonecraft that would see the future Mrs. Shelley write the novel Frankenstein. Hmm. It's a, it's a great setup for the, for the character of Elvira to use her signature humor, and Mrs. Avalon and Acosta really found that combination of that Elvira did so well. It's a horror host vamp valley girl thing that, that really Cassandra Peterson had just come up with out of, out of whole cloth and, and made her own. Great cliffhanger for where we're going next. Uh, another visit with somebody else very famous and such a thing. Charming art, great, great story. I enjoyed the heck out of this. If you're a fan of Elvira, you may want to wait for the trade, you know, a couple issues out, because what you do get with Dynamite is all those 47 variant covers as a gallery. And there are, there are, there are tons of them here from uh, Robert Hack with Colors by Francisco Francovia. We've got Kyle Stram, Jay Bone, Joseph Michael Lisner. We've got Craig Cermak. Uh, just tons of folks. So, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark from Dynamite. That's it for me. All righty. Didn't even need the five. Wow, you got a lot of time left. <laughs> awesome. Um, wow, yeah, I haven't. What was Elvira was about? She was going to star in something. Oh, she did a voiceover for a video game not too long ago. I think it was Call of Duty or something like that. It was wow. like a zombie <laughs> DLC pack that she was a part of, and then there was something, some kind of kerfuffle about possibly changing who who Elvira was, and then she ultimately voted against it because... Yeah. Yeah, I, I have Good to agree. I have to agree. Um, I just wanted to say, I also read the uh, Squirrel Girl-Ms. Marvel combo, and the Marvel Rising stuff has been absolutely fantastic. My question is this. What is up with the numbering? For these books, is, is it my imagination, or have we had three number ones since no. they started coming out? No, no, no. We had a free comic book day zero half okay. an issue okay. with some ads. Then we had Marvel Rising Alpha number one. Uh huh. This is Marvel Rising Squirrel Girl and Ms. Marvel number one. Then we then we will have Marvel Rising Ms. Marvel and Squirrel Girl number one. And then Marvel Rising Omega. This is what I'm talking about. It's it's very confusing. <laughs> Love the book, hate the numbering. Fix it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I'll do that. I'll, uh, next, next time around, yeah. I'm I'm gonna write an email. I'm gonna have this changed by by next issue. You'll see. You'll see. Okay. <laughs> what Steve <laughs> says goes. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I make the rules now. Tell him. You will um, get him. <laughs> Melissa, would you care to uh, regale us with some stories of your favorite books from this past week? I would care to, yes. Whoopity doo! You have five <laughs> minutes. She isn't going to do it. She would just care to. Yeah. I yeah. I only have two, so I'll try to use up five minutes with it. You you use those five minutes to your heart's content. No, I have written no you some no big less. lovely paragraphs, so I think I'll use I'm it. I'm sure you always do. You always do. Your 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 lightning rounds are always much better than mine, and I have no problem with that. <laughs> I put I put a lot of time into these. I can I can hear it. I can hear sometimes. it in your, your conviction and your, your adjectives. Sometimes I do. Okay. okay. All right. Ready? Are we ready? I, I, Steve? I think so. I'm gonna I take a deep breath for this. <laughs> ah, okay. 
You have five minutes on the clock. Go. All right. First one I want to talk about is Death or Glory. Uh, I read number one through three of this series. Uh, it's a new image series written by the great Rick Remender and art by a French artist named Bengal uh, that started with number one back in May. I got all caught, caught up as far as number three, which just came out on July 4th. Glory is a no-time-for-your-shit kind of gal who races cars for a living and builds them for fun. She was born and raised in the back of her parents' semi-truck as they survived free and off the grid, traveling across the country and building a family out of the roadside friends they made along the way. When Glory's dad falls terribly ill and needs a kidney transplant to live, she quickly finds out that living without social security numbers, taxed employment, or insurance means there's no help to be had for him, and she becomes desperate to make a lot of money fast. What she thinks will be a quick and easy theft of drug money from her abusive ex-husband turns into a long, hard romp through the nasty underground of human trafficking, where she's in way over her head. Death or Glory is a high-speed chase across the American West that examines our dwindling freedoms and the price paid by those who fight for an untethered life. It's a fantastically written, it's as fantastically written as you'd expect from Rick Remender, um, with wild and quick world-building that's anchored by genuine characters you immediately can connect with. I'm not familiar with Bengal, but he's got a way with faces, and every panel expresses equally the right balance of emotion, mm. reactions, and unique features. So these people come to life vividly. I read all three of these in one evening, and I can't wait for more. This ongoing series is one that I could not put down, and it guarantees to be a crazy ride that won't allow you to catch your breath. <gasps> Pull quote! Oh, Okay. Uh, the next one I want to talk about is Sword Daughter number one to two. Uh, Sword Daughter is a new series from Dark Horse featuring writing by Brian Wood and art by Mac Chater of Lazarus, Lazarus, as well as colors by Lauren Affey. The 40 swords came at night and murdered an entire village save for two people, the infant Elspeth and her grief-stricken father Dag. Setting off on a revenge quest that spans the width of Viking Age Europe, they find the key to repairing their damaged relationship lies in the swords they carry. It's a powerful and emotional story of parental guilt and acceptance of loss. We all know Brian Wood can tell a story, and this one packs a punch, but it's delivered slow and sneaky, hidden behind a Norwegian folktale of sorts. He gives us a fly-on-the-wall view of a hard-fought reunion between tragically separated father and daughter as they clumsily seek revenge together. Elsbeth is a child who had her entire family taken violent, violently from her, except her father, who fell into a coma for years, essentially abandoning her as a toddler to survive on her own. She watched over him until he awoke, and rather than making up for lost time with his only remaining child, he immediately vows to avenge his murdered family. And the near-feral Elsbeth follows along, cautiously growing closer to him as they bond through their shared grief. Like Lazarus, this story is beautifully and often grimly portrayed by Mac Chater in muted shades and tormented faces. The struggle of living in a world run by terror and violence is clear in every line. I started this series unsure of whether it would be my thing, but within a few pages, I knew that I could not read it. It's just gripping in the most quiet, unsettling way. The tension between the father and daughter is tangible and raw. It's not the sort of family bonding that warms the heart. <laughs> But it does remind us that love isn't free, but earned with intention. Uh, pick up number one and two now, and just try not to feel fully invested in this one. Jeez. How the hell are we going to top that, Jess? 
Yeah, I'm not gonna. But it's okay. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> I get close to five minutes. I tried to talk slower than usual. You had a minute left. It's all right. Okay. Though. It's all right, though. You can you can bank it for next time. These are both really incredible books. I was excited to talk about these. Yeah, um, I've yeah, read Death great. and Glory. Uh, I've read one and two of Death and Glory, and I really love it. Um, you've totally seen Ben Gall's stuff before. You just might not knew that it was him. I'm sure that you've seen some of his art, like here and there. Uh, I'm trying to think of a title. I've got a pretty terrible that. memory, so it you know it's possible he's, that I have, and I just don't remember him. He's been around for a couple of years, um, definitely since we've been doing the show, and he's just his style is so awesome. There's so much movement to it, and and his expressions are are flawless and amazing. Um, big big fan of of his work for sure. And yeah, that that book is like super duper exciting. Um, I wanted to read the third one. But I was like half asleep and I looked at the first page and I was like, nope, going to have to wait for next time because <laughs> I want to, you know, there I have to admit, like there are some books that I know like it's like chewing a piece of gum. Like I could just down this and if I fall asleep and I forget it, and I can look at it the next morning. No big deal. But then there are other books that you can tell right off the bat that there it's going to require your your utmost attention uh, if you want to soak it in. So. I was really surprised at some of the places that uh, Death or Glory went. I thought it was going to be kind of like a more fun, like romp across the country kind of thing, yeah, but it is, there. it is rough. It's <laughs> like, oh it shit. Really goes there. Yeah, yeah, there's some really brutal things in this story. Yeah, that first car chase towards the end of the the first issue is spectacular. I mean, I know I've talked to, I've, I've talked about a few Rick Remender books on this show, but I'm I'm learning very quickly that I think I'm just a really big Rick Remender fan because that just every time he writes a story, I just fall into it so heavy. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Add another favorite creator to your list. Good stuff. All right, Jess. You want me to go? All yeah, right. I don't want you to because I know what you're going to talk about. <laughs> And so we're going to have to hug it out at the end. We're going to hug it out. We're going to hug and cry it out. Muffin fluffin book. I'm fluffin sad, man. I'm fluffin sad. (laughs) I'm going to put five minutes on the clock for you. I'll probably join you at some point. I'm not, I'm not going to read it. I'm going to, you know, me and you have talked about this. Do you want to just talk about it? Yeah, we could just, all right. Forget the clock. Yeah, screw the clock. It's okay. It's my only book. I'm only going to talk about this book because I felt, it was necessary. So tell the tell the good tell the good people what happened this past Wednesday. So this past Wednesday, issue number twenty of I Hate Fairyland came out, and it was the last issue of I Hate Fairyland, Ooh. and it was very sad. And you know, I I think the first time I was ever on the show, I talked about I Hate Fairyland. Mm-hmm. I think it was one of the first books I ever spoke about here, and it has been just absolutely lovely for its entire run. Um, you know, you follow the awesomely terrible Gertrude through the world of fairyland where she just eats and kills everything in her path. Um, Literally, she eats them alive all the time. Um, But it's, it's absolutely lovely. It was, you know, the colors were amazing. It was a beautiful book to, to look at all the time. And it was like my refresher book. It was my, I just read something serious. Let me read. I hate fairyland. And it just kind of brightened me up. It's, it's very sarcastic. It's very humorous. It's, it's got, you know, little Easter eggs in there. In every issue, uh, you know, you, you get to see, I was happy with the last issue. We got to see Gertrude get her revenge um, and, and 
I'm gonna spoil her. She defeats the evil Claudia. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, she defeats her. You know, spoiler alert. But even there were some parts where she tells Larry, like she's like, "Thank no, really, thank you no. for everything." I was like, "Oh!" I was like, "No!" I no, know. You ripped my I heart know. out. I know. I know. <laughs> you ripped my heart out. And you know, leave it to Sadie Young to make it so that she wakes up <laughs> at her job. <laughs> And she was, and he makes it the stereotypical. And obviously that was like, the whole book is about tropes and like making fun of tropes. So he made it so that she, you know, she's at work hating her job and she was taking a nap the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? but, and I it's a very, it's perfect. a very obvious, but very appropriate yes. ending to, yeah, to a book. Something that you can see coming from a long ways away, but it's still satisfying mm -hmm. when it, when it happens. Yeah, yeah, it was perfect because it went along with the whole thing of like how many like, you know, funny tropes that he made fun of, you know, the whole time that he, you know, sarcastically threw in there. So I thought it was a perfect send off. You know, we got to see her defeat, defeat Claudia. We got to see her, you know, show a little love to Larry. Oh, Larry. Poor Larry. <laughs> Larry. <laughs> poor Larry. <laughs> poor Larry. MVP. Like, no, MVP. Because <laughs> even when she's gone, like, he's like, I'm going to miss you. You're my friend. Like, and they hate each other the whole time. She tells him how much she hates his gut for the entire run of the book. <laughs> you know, I hate your insides. I fluffing, fluffing going to rip out your yeah. insides. Or <laughs> what'd she call it? His nutsack shaped head a bunch of times. <laughs> like, all the time. Like, yeah, it's, she's so mean to Larry. But, you know, in the end, uh, they love each other and they're friends. And, and it was a really good run. I'm really sad to see it go. He did, though, I did read that he doesn't plan to, this is not the end, that there will be one shots and a couple of, like, side stories that he's going to put out about it as well. So yeah. there will be some, some Gertrude in the future. Uh, and I hope so, because I fluffin' love Gertrude. <laughs> Okay, she's so angry and so pissed off and just so wonderful the whole time. So I'm sad to see her go, but I'm glad. I'm I'm also glad that he, you know, he didn't go too far. He stopped it, and it was a perfect. You know, the 20 issues was perfect. So. Yeah, I don't know. I would have <laughs> liked saying, some more. You, you want more? <laughs> I, I didn't know. You know, I didn't know it was ending. You didn't know? No, I had no idea. I'm sitting there and I'm reading it and I'm like, oh boy, this is uh, this is this is this is some conclusive stuff <laughs> that I'm that yeah, I'm reading like, right oh, now. Yeah, like yeah. I was because there's always at the end of every arc there's always a twist. You know, there's always like a, a reset or a circumstance that changes where the story goes. And I'm getting to like the final pages and I'm like, all right, any any day, <laughs> any time now, Scotty. Like, let's uh. Hit me with it. I'm ready. Like, I'm ready for this. What are you doing? Nope. Don't go down that road. I know where. No. No. And so when she turns to Larry, and this you have to understand, for people that have reading, I have been reading I Hate Fairyland for this whole time, this is a very big moment. It might seem like a small thing, but sometimes it's the small things that make the biggest impact. And it was just, like, one line or two lines where she just, she just turns to him and she says, you know, thanks. thanks. Like, no, really, thanks for everything. Thanks for everything. And which is also she, another trope aw. that he threw in there, which is great. Like, it's so funny. Like, I know, <laughs> but like, and then she just poofs. He poofs yeah. before he could say anything back. Right back. And you never go back to him. Like, it just, it's just dead. It's just done. And I, I sat there going like, oh my God. I, like, my heart hurt. Yeah, it ripped, ripped my heart yeah. out, man. I was like, Larry. Poor so Larry, man. <laughs> I'm reading this in bed, and Bronwyn's already asleep. And so I'm reading the last issue of I Hate Fairly, and I'm 
freaking out and like i want so bad to wake her up and be like they canceled my fucking book what's going on is that when you sent me a text message i know i got a text message i like looked at my phone i didn't see when you said that it was just like i have fairyland is over and like a hundred like crying faces yeah what? Pretty much. Like, pretty much. Oh God! I'm like, yep, Steve Red. I hate Fairyland. <laughs> I had no that idea that it was the last issue, and I'm so satisfied. But I'm so sad. Um, he did. Uh, he did tease. I think his new his new book is coming out in November. I think is when that launches. There was some art going around for it today. Um, I'd have to look up the title for it. It's, it's like, the the Midwest, I the believe. Mid- uh, it's they have a teaser for it in the back of the book. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think they they showed the cover or something for yeah. it today. Um, very excited for that. I mean, between I hate Fairyland and Deadpool that he has going on right now, which is also fantastic. Uh, just really, really love Scotty Young. I have for for years, like even through the the baby cover period, where everybody was like, "Oh, it's all he does," and I knew better. Oh, I knew better. No. Yeah, he did other things. And you could tell that, though. I've seen other, you know, other art beforehand. He's just a very talented artist, and that's yeah. what he chose to draw for that time. Right. Like, I, that's that's it. He could do – I think he can do whatever he wants, really. Right, yeah. You know, you know if you were like, I oh, mean, draw me like, the Mona Lisa, he could be like, sure. <laughs> you know, here you go. Yeah, like, I have the I have the Oz series from Marvel. Um, I have the Omnibus for that that I have yet to read. I want to check out. He's all over that. Mm-hmm. And um, But, I mean, Fairyland was really – I kept telling people, I said, you know, if you dig what he does – this is him doing it to just a whole other level where his, his his imagination is just, you know, cut open and spilling out onto this page, including uh, Jean-Francois Bellew on uh, on colors and stuff like that. It's just a like another one of those dream teams like uh, Kieran and McKelvey and stuff like that. Yeah. Snyder and Capullo and so on. I want to jump into his brain. That's what this makes me want to do. It makes me want to, like, jump in there and see what's going on, because if you can just come up with this out of nowhere, like... Man, <laughs> like I want to be your friend. That's that's all I have to say. So. Thank you for being a friend. <laughs> Thank you for fluffing making this. <laughs> so good. All right. It was well, fantastic. I don't know one. what just happened to the show. What the hell did you guys? Have you read I Hate Fairyland? No, I feel wow. like I just fell down some kind of rabbit hole. You would love it. <laughs> you did. You would love it. <laughs> it um, fluffing babies. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> it has um pangs of Lenore uh to it for sure yeah all right um i guess it's my turn now isn't it all right yes all right i'm gonna put five minutes on the clock for myself okay uh so i have a book to talk about this week called son of hitler graphic novel written by anthony del cole (laughs) jeff moore art by jeff mccomsey In the darkest days of World War II, a British spy handler by the name of Cora discovers a rumor that when Adolf Hitler was stationed in France during the First World War, he fathered a child. Armed with stolen Nazi files, she goes rogue to find the son and recruit him for a mission to meet his biological father and kill him to end the war's greatest threat. But that may not be the end of Hitler's family saga. Dun, dun, dun. For those of you who enjoy a mighty fine alternative history read, you're going to want to pick this one up. It's from Image. 
Uh, as I followed Cora down a dark and winding rabbit hole of Nazi intrigue, I could not help but feel like I was reading a missing chapter from the life and times of Marvel's Peggy Carter. She's cunning, commanding, and a great lead for this twisted story filled with spies, suspense, and swastikas. <laughs> and then there's Pierre, a tragic, angry man who will stop at nothing to see that he's remembered, for better or worse. Like his father, Adolf Hitler, boo, he's a magnificent asshole, though Del Cole and Moore did a fine job of making me feel for his position from time to time. Uh, for me, he's the kind of man you want to punch square in the face before you help him up and shake his hand. <laughs> While I did find myself entertained by the story throughout, and I did, it was during the book's third act where I felt the adrenaline start to pump through my veins as truths were revealed and the story became harrowing AF. This uh, was where all the little pieces started falling into place, resulting in a clever finale that had me dying to talk to someone about how it all ends. Seriously, guys, go out and buy this book, read it, and then message me so we can talk <laughs> about like the last 45 pages of this book. They were so good. They were so good. Like I was totally cool and I'm like having a good time and I'm like, this is a really fun read. Do, 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 do. And then all of a sudden, things just like got turned to 11 and all the shit hit the fan and, like, a really good book all of a sudden goes to, like, a holy crap, this is amazing uh, kind of book. So that is Son of Hitler! A graphic novel from Image. Go and check it out. The other book I have for you is Cosmic Ghost Rider number one of five. Written by Donny Cates. Art by Dylan Burnett. Uh, so I'm just going to read this from their thing. Exploding from the pages of Thanos, Frank Castle was the Punisher. A deal with the Devil made him Ghost Rider. A deal with Galactus made him Cosmic. A deal with Thanos made him, well, dead. Uh, not to worry, though. He's coming back, and he's got a plan to make the universe a better place that's going to lead him into an event uh, that's a crazier adventure uh, than he's ever been in. I kind of screwed that up because the type on this uh, file was not that great, but whatever. Uh, so a white-haired Frank Castle dies after becoming the black right hand of Thanos and is then pulled to Valhalla by Odin himself. Rather than letting him rest, Odin appoints Castle as the new cosmic ghost rider. <laughs> Odin also offers to send Castle wherever and when, whenever in time he'd like to go. This is the Ghost Rider book that I never knew that I needed in my life, okay? The art reminds me a lot of Andrew McLean's Headlopper, if anybody remembers that. That's um, kind of that uh, image anthology collection, oversized books, really good. Um, so the art, which I thought made for a really fun and fanciful style for Ghost Rider, unlike anything that I'd ever seen from the character before, mind you, that's not much, but this was like full on like rainbow bridges everywhere and really great colors, really like super bold, bright everywhere. It was, it was really, really pleasant to look at. Uh, I love the concept of this book so far as well. It's really off the wall and weird. It kind of reminds me of the, the crank movies. If anybody's ever seen those the ones with yeah. Jason Statham. Yeah. Very like manic and wild and cool. Um, so I have no idea where it's going to go next. I'm doing my best 
not to spoil this because the end is so ridiculously epic and where it leaves you i'm like i'm in for the next couple of issues for sure uh i feel like donny cates is on fire right now his venom book is outstanding and this looks like another great start to a promising story featuring a character i've always wanted to read more of but never knew where to start uh or if he's even worth checking out I don't know, maybe Ghost Rider is like a cool-looking character who really sucks. I have no idea. Um, I don't think so, though. (laughs) (laughs) This book was neat. (laughs) I really liked it a lot. All right. Um, Those are my books. That was maybe 10 seconds over the time limit. That's okay. Bob, I think you would really enjoy uh, Son Son of Hitler. Hitler. Yeah. Yeah, I can get you, um, I can send you uh, a review copy. Uh, it is definitely up your alley. And uh, the, the lead character, Cora, definitely has some uh, some Peggy Carter in her. Uh, and I, I, man, yeah, I need somebody to read this book because I want to talk about the last couple yeah. pages. It's so good. Okay. Did you get that feeling he did at the end of uh, Inglorious Bastards, where all of a sudden, you know, history has changed? It's like, wait a minute, time out. Yeah, it's it's of one thing? of it's kind of one of those things where a character realizes that if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. You know, and and it's just all of a sudden you think the story is going one way, and then you find like there's there's a twist. You know, like a lot of great stories have a twist, and there's a major twist in this book. And it goes from like all of a sudden it's business time and, and she's pissed and I, I like full on uh, atomic blonde Nazi killing kind of stuff. (laughs) Just like pans to the face and neck and, and just, uh, I was, I was very entertained. I was very entertained. Okay. Uh, let's move on to some open discussions. What do we got first up? Do we want to go to the wedding? Let's go to the wedding. Well, yeah, <laughs> but go let's, ahead. Let's go to the wedding. Um, Here's the question for y'all. Can we spoil the book? Well, since the New York Times did. Yeah. And DC else did. did. All yeah. right. Listen up. If you haven't read Batman number 50, you really should go out and get it. Uh, it's a very, very, very good book. We've been waiting for it for a long time. Uh, I will give you the Cliff's Notes. You have uh, Bat and Cat, and they've decided we're going to get married. The problem is that every single time that we try to organize something, some supervillain shows up, and they blow up the wedding plans, and everything is ruined forever. So let's just do this tonight. I'll find a judge. You get a witness. Blah, 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 blah. We'll meet on the rooftop, and we'll do this thing cut to the end and you have selena opting out of the marriage and so the way that the book is set up is it is a collection of sorts where you are reading two different letters uh one from the bat and one to the cat to each other and throughout the story you're kind of getting like little snippets of them leading up to the wedding getting dressed, getting ready, walking to the rooftop and stuff like that. But in between that, 
you get these pieces of the letter and what these characters mean to one another and what their journey has been. And to accompany that, you have like over 30 artists contributing to this, doing these gorgeous full like one pages uh, of some of the greatest moments throughout the bat and cat history from the very beginning. Uh, And it's just a beautiful, beautiful collection of all of these adventures that they've been on, moments that they've shared, things they've said to one another, so on and so forth. And um, so the book ends, and it's got this really, really, really wild ending that kind of has me rethinking some of the Booster Gold stuff. So... (laughs) um, I guess since we're spoiling everything else, we could spoil this too. Uh... What is um really quick remind me what is Selena's friend's name again? Holly Robinson. Okay, Holly Robinson. So, uh, Holly Robinson is is Selena's witness to the, to the wedding, and it turns out that Holly has been canoodling with uh, a whole like bunch of villains from from Arkham, and you come to find out at the close of this book that Bane has been orchestrating the downfall of Batman. How can we break the Batman and pretty much setting up all of the events from like everyone's their Gotham girl is there. The ventriloquist is there. Um, Psycho pirate is there from the, from the very beginning. And all of these, all of these villains are together, the Joker and they've set them, they've set them up to fail and to, 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 put Batman in a in a position that he's he's never been in before and it kind of brings all 50 issues up to this point uh into perspective you kind of have to go back and rethink the way all of this stuff came together and it's just wild um to to think back on all that stuff at least it was for me when I I didn't quite understand it when I got to that page at first and then I read an article and I read the the issue again and then I looked at who was actually in the room and was remembering all the stuff that's gone on between the War of Jokes and Riddles and the Gotham Girl uh, and Gotham stuff that happened at the very start, the Bane, the two Bane arcs that happened after that, and um, just some really, really genius-level stuff coming from Tom King and all of the contributing artists as well. Uh, somebody rescue me from babbling. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go, Bob, or you want me to go? Go ahead, Jess. Um, yeah, I, I want to go back to a couple episodes ago when we were talking about those Booster Gold issues, and I was like, I bet you Tom King has something in mind for this. Okay, and he did. <laughs> and I want to say that's right. And you go back, like I said, when I, I did the same thing, Steve, I looked at it, and I was like, wait a second. And I kind of, I read it a second time, I was like, holy shit, it's every villain that's been in the book for the whole entire run, and like, this makes, this makes sense now. Um, I know... You know, I think it was sad that it was spoiled. I, I want to talk about that as well, that, uh, you know, they mm. spoiled it so hard. Like, and apparently there's a rumor mill going on on Long Island. I'm going to preview the, the comics bookstore rumor mill. I think Bob knows what I'm talking about, mm. that that they weren't the only people to spill this uh, kind of leaked information, that there was some that this was going on for a couple months, that people were told that the wedding wouldn't happen. Um, some of the comic book stores on Long Island were able to stop uh, to cut back on some of their orders. Some were not. 
uh, my store included was not. Um, thank God he sold them all anyway. But uh, yeah, it was kind of interesting. It wasn't just them that was spoiling it. There was actual other creators, and I'm not going to say names, um, that were actually going and saying like to, to comic book stores on the island, yeah, the wedding's not going to happen. We oh, so they happened. were like, walking around and yeah. telling people on the yeah. low? Yeah. 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 And, oh, and, that's a dick move. Yeah. Right. And, and DC... only certain stores as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. DC is now apparently going to ref- make uh, a lot of issues returnable. They're also going to refund money to stores who set up events. If you had a wedding party planned in your store and you have bakery bills or bar bills or whatever, they're going to mm-hmm. send you co-op money. Yeah. Try to make up for what they, they realized went wrong. The, the guy who wrote the article for The Times has already apologized. Are these I, the same people complaining about this stuff that were complaining about the wedding in the first place? That yeah. now they're complaining that there isn't one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I had, swear okay, people. Listen, I had an idea. I, I, you've it. read the whole run. If you had the whole run, like there yeah. had to be some conflict. They couldn't just get married and like everything was hunky dory. The end. That's not the way it works. Okay. Like, welcome to life. That's, you know, like that's the way it works. Listen. They, there had to be conflict somewhere. And I had a feeling that that was going to happen. It wasn't going to just be like, oh, they get married on a rooftop and it's beautiful. Would I have liked to see that eventually? Yes. Will it happen maybe down the end? Um, I think I retweeted a tweet from tom king and he said like i have a hundred issues planned this is number 50 out of 100 like right. keep going you know keep going so and i will and i, I think <laughs> i think that him and joel jones have taken some meetings and they're plotting and this is this is going to be the thing in like another 50 issues or another 20 issues or whatever um my confusion about all of this stuff stems from the idea that even if you and I'm and it sucks to be spoiled, I was able to avoid it, and I'm I'm happy that I did and whatnot. But after it was spoiled for you, don't you still want to read it? Yeah. Don't yeah, you I still want to yeah. know? Like if you're if you're shocked and kind of thrown back by the idea that it's not happening, don't you want to know how it does or does not happen? Haven't you been like totally invested in the other 49 issues that have come before this? And then you're going to quit out on the wedding day. You're going to leave an empty seat. That's very rude. Uh, (laughs) But again, to to some, to some people, it was a bait and switch. Scenario. So I can see how some people would think that I, yeah. Um, It feels a little petty to me to but i i can i can see i don't know i i i'm along for the ride man you know like whether it happens or doesn't happen like if tom king hasn't hasn't proven to his readers yet on this run that he's got a plan and you can't trust that plan by now i don't know what you're spending your 3.99 on every other week yeah, you know? I don't know why you're reading it in the first place. I mean, yeah, I, I also don't know who the hell I'm talking to right now. I'm just kind of getting my frustrations out. That's okay. Go. <laughs> We're among out. friends. We're among yeah. Friends. Well, we'll uh, see do, about I, we'll see about that in a second. <laughs> I do hear you, Bob. Yeah, please, uh, Bob. Yeah, Bob let's hear yeah. some thoughts. Yeah. Well, uh, for me, here's the thing: in, in the current comics fandom landscape, I'm not sure that a happily married, contented Batman that is driven by purely altruistic desires, plays to the core audience at a certain level. We're ingrained in a certain Batman over the last 30-odd years. So 
having having them leave each other at this sort of altar probably pleases the most people, at least among regular readership. Although I dare say that going the other way for a little bit might have brought some other new readers or kept some of these people who may have just jumped on over the last six months or so as this started to to really perk up. In the same sort of way that, you know, you've heard me all of me complain about, oh, we'll have, you know, Captain America be a Nazi or whatever. We'll have him do this or do this. And it's different and edgy. Well, the different edgy is doing something different. And so if Cap was old or he was in Dimension Z or he was not Captain America for whatever reason or dead for five years, having him actually be Captain America is different. Well, in this case, having Batman be somebody different for these last six months or so has been really neat. And I would have been thrilled to have it go on a little bit longer. As you say, he does. Mr. King has said he has many more issues planned and Ms. Jones may have something to say about that, too. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Now, while I found the crossing love letters, you know, it's a charming ploy. Even to me, though, it came across a bit, I don't know, Bronte-esque, and you can pick whichever one of the sisters you'd like. I'm not really sure. Maybe A.R. Gurney, for you youngsters who remember the play Love Letters. In this electronic age, would they really be sending letters back and forth? I don't know. Maybe. Um, they always do letters in, in I, Batman. I, yeah, that's common for Batman, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they do. Here's another thing, though. For me, it seems more as if Selina has carried out the plan that the Joker laid out to her. You can't have a happy bat. And while she showed some long-term thinking about society, it is kind of that she still did it for him, and that removes, to me, some of her agency. So I don't know that I totally buy it, especially considering so many conversations between the two that suggested that they could do this and get this to work together. Also Hmm. on that note, and speaking only for me, and I'm sure I am, if all the usage of Selena Kyle through these last few issues is only to fortify the angry Batman trope. You could say I, that no matter how wonderfully the issues were, she's just a plot point to further his story and character. I wouldn't I wouldn't water I, it down to that degree. I, I feel like that's, that's unfair. I don't think it's gonna be that. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you, Bob. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna disagree. Um, or I hope it's not. How about that? I I, I can't say that you're wrong. Um, and it could be because we don't know what's gonna happen in the next fifty issues. You could totally be right, and I will totally be sad. Um, so I hope it's not. But I like uh, I have a feeling, like Steve said, like him and Joel Jones with Catwoman number one coming out and stuff. I I don't think I I have a a gut feeling that that's not what. It's yeah, I. I wouldn't I wouldn't water her down to a plot point with all of the all of the substance and all of the tender moments and all the things that we've read over the past couple of months with them. I I don't know. I would I wouldn't reduce her role to something like that. I think there's been too much there uh, to call that. But people feel different ways about different stories all the time. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see how it pans out. You know, at least, you know what, it's keeping us reading and it's keeping us curious. And I mean, that's part of the plan, right? So uh, I would also like to note that the horse is alive in this issue. Not for, <laughs> there, not for long. There's a live yeah. horse in this issue and it is not dead. <laughs> I've, <laughs> that, that you're going to be very upset with Batman number 51. <laughs> <laughs> when there's just dead horses all over. I read, I read an advanced copy and there's a dead horse on the cover. No, there's not. First, first page. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing him back. I told you. Bring it back. All right. 
All right. Um, I really dug the issue. Um, I think it it was a little it was a little long for me. Some of the some of the letter writing I thought was a little long. Lots of stuff about eyes. If I had to see the word eyes one more time <laughs> or reading that book, I was uh, starting to get a little upset. But uh, the the main the main story stuff and some of the pages, the page the the, the two page spread where they're both walking from opposite ends of the manor and they meet in the middle and they say hello to one another and they kiss was probably my favorite my favorite two pages uh, of the book. I still haven't come down on where I feel about the Batman can never be happy or else he can't be Batman thing. Um, there are parts of me that feels like it's a little bit of a cheap way out, but um, then again, it's not my story. So I'm just there to pay the money and enjoy. So, um, all right, spinning out of Batman number 50, we have Catwoman number one, Bob. Yes, we have Joel Jones on story and art, Laura Allred on colors, and Josh Reed on letters. Trying to clear her head, Selena Kyle now is in Via Hermosa, home sweet home, for now, anyway, as she says. We see early on Catwoman shooting a gun and we switch to other stories, two or three of them. There are dead policemen. There are casinos. There's intrigue. There are cats everywhere, surprisingly enough. A whole new supporting cast, including the rather mysterious first lady of Via Hermosa. And what is going on with her and her husband and apparently a series of mysterious donors? Of what, though? It is incredibly stylish. It is absolutely gorgeous to look at. We get a new Catwoman suit, which doesn't have any goggles so that you can see her eyes. Carried over from number 50, Steve. You see how it plays in right here? Also, loads of freedom of movement. Uh, At one point near the end, you know, Selena's really had some... Some problems, you know, is why she left. That there's a Catwoman running around who's apparently shot two policemen, has her on the run as she encounters this person. I don't want to say too much beyond that. It's she goes on a chase. I'm definitely not firing on all cylinders. But boy, I thought this book really did. Huge uplift for me after reading Batman 50, which leave you kind of in the dumps. This really had me uh, feeling very, very good. How about everybody else? Um, I thought it was fantastic. I really did. Uh, reading it as a follow-up to 50 was so much fun. Love the new villain. Creepy as hell. Uh, it's a little, like, on the nose in terms of, like, the cops, but I really appreciate it. Like, it's got kind of almost some of those lines in there where, like, you know, oh, you know, you should really go and get a drink or something. Yeah, but we were in the academy together. This is, you know, this is this is personal, Sam. I'm not just gonna sit around while Simmons drags her ass on this one. Is that your cop voice, Steve? That's yeah. this guy's cop voice. I have I'm lots read of cop it like voices. That now. Now I'm gonna... But her, like her, running through the subway and cartwheeling into the friggin' train, flying down the escalator. Like all of this stuff, Joelle Jones doing her her Catwoman art is just fantastic. 
her as like her writing on this is a little bit of a lady killer in here, of course, like as as terms of like like the vibe and the style and kind of the redesign of the character. Um, really, really great kind of like respectable posy pages of Catwoman doing her thing. There's one in particular where she's like hanging off the side of a building and she just looks amazing. She looks like Michelle Pfeiffer uh, in this at times. And that is always a good thing because Michelle Pfeiffer rules. Is that the one where she's like upside down? Uh, sure. It so could be. She There's was a like few upside down with like a, like a rope around her leg, sort of like lowering herself down the building. And I thought of Michelle Pfeiffer when I saw that. Yes. So good. So good. Um, Melissa, what did you, did you read Catwoman, Mom, right? I did. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I did. What'd I promised you guys I would read one of these open discussion books. <laughs> so I read Catwoman. Uh, I love Joelle Jones. Um, I, I enjoyed this book. Uh, you know, it felt like reading a little bit of a stranger cause I don't know much about Catwoman beyond what I've seen in films. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I always enjoy Joelle Jones's artwork in particular. I think she's probably perfect for this because she does tend to like, you know, she she's perfect doing the like slinky, like sexy but not too sexy lady movements. You know, mm-hmm. she draws this like long, slender, like just um, perfectly. The femme fatales. Yeah, yeah. She's got that down. Even like like the look. You know, she always gets that like side eye really well. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, I um, I wouldn't after reading this, I kind of thought like I've been reading Joel Jones for years now. Um, Bob and I talked about this briefly in email, but I I started reading her back when she was doing um, Helheim and I wouldn't mind seeing her maybe expand on her female anatomy a little bit. You know, I mean, she draws really perfect women. <laughs> in a in a very in a very narrow sort of view of perfect women, um, so I wouldn't mind seeing her expand on that a little bit. She's got a great art style, um, but yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed it. It kind of just made me want to read more Lady Killer. All right. Um, <laughs> I tried to thanks, come up with more things about it. I enjoyed it. <laughs> great. Glad to have you on the show. Uh, <laughs> that was fun. That was fine. Jess, what uh, yeah. do you have any thoughts for Catwoman? I do. Uh, you know, I was excited about this book. When I heard it came out, I mean, me and you did, I think, a little happy. I was, like, happy dancing to myself, oh, like, pulling freaking off the out. chair. Yeah, I was freaking out a little bit. And I was happy. I was happy with it. I opened up the book. I read it. It was really pretty. I do agree with Melissa. Maybe we could get, like, a, a little bit of a butt somewhere, you know, a hip <laughs> size, you know. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. That's the the you know silhouette of my dreams <laughs> but but i i do i do agree i think maybe it could be expanded upon <laughs> instead of just you know perfect slender always slender uh, very slender <laughs> you do realize but, you're talking about catwoman right now right i do i do well, i do but everybody in the book looks but everybody, like that yes and that's what Not i, I agree. yeah it's right. every every woman looks like that every character looks like that so maybe you know we can get like a little chubby girl in there once in a while i'm just saying um but <laughs> But, a chubby guy, I would take a that. Chubby too. guy, yeah, we could do chubby <laughs> dudes. I'm, I'm fine with that. Give me some dad bod. I'm all about it. Um, 
But, yeah, you know, uh, I was really pleasantly happy. That little twist at the very end was quite interesting, and I'm interested to see where that is going to go, but I will not spoil it. Um, I thought it was, you know, it was beautiful. The villain is incredibly, like, disturbing. I, I don't know what's going on there, but that is the no-nose thing happening. Oh, sorry. Careful, I, won't, careful. I won't spoil too much. <laughs> It's in the middle of the book. I'm sorry. Uh, it's, but it's it's kind of it's it's good. I mean, I really enjoyed it. I was very pleasantly that I shouldn't say surprised. I was just happy, and I thought I would be happy. So, yeah. It's about. Hey, did anyone notice the new paper? Yeah, I did. It's it's definitely uh, interesting. It's definitely yeah. got a, an interesting texture to it. It's definitely, I guess it's a step down from the really glossy paper, which is okay. Some of the new books this week I've, I've heard are also on this other paper. Explain um, the new paper. I, di- I didn't read it in print. Oh, it's it, um, less shiny. Yeah, but More it's matted. easier to read. Like when you're reading, like I sit on my couch with like a light and it doesn't, you don't get the glare. Like you don't get that like interesting shiny stuff that sometimes you have to move your book around. It's just, it's kind of more of a, it's like an eggshell, I guess you could say, instead of a, it's not matte, but it's, it's not, it's not gloss. gloss, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For it's lesser like, paper, they could have lowered the price. I'm just saying. <laughs> you knew that was going to happen, but I, I'm not going <laughs> to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we all know that one. But I'm not going to complain too much because three ninety nine is terrible. Well, it wasn't six ninety nine, so I'm, I'm yeah. okay with that. You know, <laughs> I've bought a, plenty of books at six ninety nine and been highly disappointed. So I was I was happy to buy a book at three ninety nine and be and be happy. Mm. Yes. And just all the kitties everywhere. And there's that one. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna dip in one more about her. I loved her like daytime wear and her like going down the escalator in like that dress and how that was drawn. I thought that was just absolutely beautiful. Her sliding down an escalator like in a in a full skirt. Like I'm like, yeah, you go, Catwoman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm done. I'm finished. I'm done. <laughs> All right, let's quickly move uh, move on to Captain America. Number one came out this past week. Uh, Bob, do you want to just say a quick little sure. something? something? Yep. Yeah, Ta-Nehisi Coates is his first issue. Uh, Lionel Francis Yu on the art. Get a cold open in Russia. Sorry about the bad pun. Uh, back during Secret Empire, where a troop transport carrying one female passenger is attacked by Selene, the old X-Men villain. Cut to Washington, D.C. today. A uh, group of super patriots who are disciples of Nuke are shooting up the National Mall. Cap and Bucky save the day. Sharon, we get General Thunderbolt Ross, who's apparently now working for the government. Big action scenes, lovely art. Uh, pretty much okay for a setup. Some nice Captain America moments that really help balance, for me, the darkness inherent in this overall story, because it is really... Pretty kind of dark coming off of where we had Secret Empire, which I would have been happy not to revisit. But, you know, we're, we're going there. Uh, for me, well, you go, you, you read it, Steve, right? Well, yeah, I did. You, you go in and I'll, and I'll finish off. Go. All right. Go um, yeah, I was kind of rehearsing this in my kitchen earlier. Okay. I'm forgetting what I was going to say. Oh. Uh, no, pretty much I... You know, for all that I enjoyed the uh, Mark Wade and, and Samney stuff, and I, I really did, that to me, as good as it was, felt very much like cleanup duty. You know, we're going to bring in some heavy hitters and we're just going to kind of mop up this whole Nazi cap thing and, you know, start to make you feel good about Captain America again. 
And then this comes out, and what I really enjoyed about Donahasi Coates's uh, first cap is that it feels like a book that is going to have something to say again. You know, it's placing Captain America in like kind of a like a odd spotlight where Sharon is pretty much going to be taking the reins. We got kind of like an Elastigirl and Mr. Incredible thing going on here, which I saw the movie last week, by the way. It was on. It was okay. Um, I wish that I loved it more than I did. I think I need to see it uh, a second time because I think there were a lot of more mature themes in uh, the movie that I overlooked. Um, but anyway, not here to talk about that. Uh, it's. I'm curious. I'm. I'm. I'm in. Uh, I think Tani Hasi Coates has a really good voice for the character. Really liked the villain. I have no idea who she is. But I kind of I, I dug the, the kind of duo that was going around um, vaping dudes and stealing their life essence and stuff like that. I thought that was pretty creepy. And uh, but I got to I, I, I got to be 100 percent honest and I'm going to try not to go too too hard into this. But it is I was surprised by how much I enjoyed the book, um, mostly because I'm not I've not been feeling very patriotic as of late. And a lot of the times I feel like Captain America, it it goes very oorah for for a reason. And and I'm just with everything going on in the world right now, I'm not feeling it. And it's it's cool to have a story where where Cap is kind of feeling on like he's on the outside. Like I, I think I'm I'm feeling of, of a lot of the stuff going on right now. And he's got to kind of earn his way back in. And I, I feel very much that we have to earn our way back in, so to speak, uh, as well. So I like the kind of the, the duality of that and, and how, like I said, Mark Wade's kind of felt a little bit more like clean up to me. ta Coates feels like he's directly addressing some of the things that are going on right now. And for me, those usually make for the best stories, um, especially the cap stuff that I've read. Uh, again, there, as you say, there are some really big ideas here. It's some nice inner monologues from Cap. Uh, a man is loyal to nothing except the dream. Hmm. That kind of thing. Uh, and, and Or as the book sort of finishes about, uh, we, we've lost our way, and then we conquered ourselves. Mm-hmm. The thing of it is, and I'm, I, I'm not going to put this out there as a shot, Steve, so please, I'm just no, going to go say that, I know you probably haven't read a whole lot of Cap, and to, to a lot of people... Just what you're saying is the truth. Captain America is this guy waving the flag blindly, no matter what's going on. And that might have been the case in the 1940s. But as brought back by Stan and Jack and then Stan and Gene Colan and and then particularly with Steve Englehart, who we had on the show, who did the book in the 70s, that has not been the case of it. And that's why over the last few years, as I mentioned before, where people got off track with the character trying to do all these other oddball things, where the core of the character has been since, again, what Stan did in the 60s, early on, you know, Steve Rogers was finding himself on college campuses with Unwest. He he had the Falcon as a partner early on in the books where there were very few African-American characters. And he co-starred in the book for seven years, I believe it was. You, you did 
entire runs with Steve Englehart, where the original Secret Empire, it, it's around the Nixon resignation, and the, the, the head bad guy turns out to be the President of the United States, and Steve Rogers gives up being Captain America because he can't believe in the dream and the country and their leaders as much as he does the dream of America and their ideals. Mm-hmm. That's who Cap has been. So this, there is a return to that here, but it, it's it's it is not it isn't brand new. It's brand new to some, but it, it is a welcome return to that. That said, though, uh, I think General Ross is on sort of the wrong side of this, which could be an interesting turn as we go. But there's something that really struck me as as a, a real con for me. Uh, I, I'm not spoiling anything, I guess, is within the first two or three pages. In the shootout at the National Mall, Cap, I tell Bucky to put down as many as he can, and I know the cost of that. I know who's watching. So if he knows the cost, he has Bucky shoot and kill in front of a bunch of civilians. Did he kill them? He shoots them in the, in the neck. One I didn't see any blood, though. One of them's dying in front of him. Uh, maybe he's just taking a real, big, a real good nap. Yeah. <laughs> not a very, not a very cap thing. To I do. honestly, I not didn't think, I didn't think that he killed them. I really didn't. I thought maybe like some beanbag gun or something or a trank. I don't know. I didn't see any blood. So um, you could be right, though. You could be totally right, but I, I, I find it hard to believe that Cap would have him shoot them it seemed like a i don't know i don't know uh i'm a warrior this is steve uh after all these years it still doesn't come easy i'm a warrior who hates war bucky sees things differently once evil men locked him in his own body and made him the perfect killer by the time bucky got out he'd seen the worst of human nature and learned to accept the losses and then the guy dies in front of cat well to I'm, me he dies I'm in good. front of cat I'm going to go back. and. I don't see any blood, but that doesn't mean he's, <laughs> I don't see him, you know, being uh, escorted away anywhere soon. Against the other cyborgs, they get, they get sort of fried, but he shoots the first three or four of them. Because there's blood on the dad shirt. I don't know. I'm looking too much into this. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I'm looking for it. Maybe. He does. All right, yeah, no, he's dead. <laughs> either he's nope, nope. dead. Nope, you're dead. I, either he's dead or he's just passing out. What I had an issue with is I think that sometimes superheroes in general, but I think Captain America especially, I, fi- I sometimes find him making promises to people that he doesn't necessarily know if he can keep. Like this kid's dad gets shot twice in the chest. Like he's on the the helivac or whatever. They're gonna bring him to the thing. Like they're working on him, but he's like, "Don't worry about it, buddy. Your dad's gonna be perfect. I promise." You don't know that. Like he could die on the way to the hospital. You have no idea. But you know, he's just trying to keep up morale. I get it. Bit of positivity. Well, that's who Cap is. Um, in, in the day, he made those promises and kept them all. That's right. So you better keep this one or I'm going to be very upset. I have to write another email. Um, I will say this, too. I really uh, I enjoy the uh, older Sharon Steve dynamic. I really liked the moment where she calls him out for kind of pulling a little bit of the woe is me 
man out of time uh, act and she called him out on it and was like, you know, I came back from that ordeal changed. Like I didn't get the young body. Like I, I, you know, I'm, I'm this now, and this is what I have to work with. And, you know, time was stolen from me too, kind of thing. And I was sitting there and I was like, yeah, yeah. So good for her. Stick it to him. All right. <laughs> Differing of opinions on this week's podcast. I love it. Yeah. Are you going to read the next one, Bob? Oh, I pre-ordered it, so yes. If you didn't pre-order it, would you have read it? Read it? Yes. Would I have bought it? Maybe. Drawing a line in the sand. Yeah. Well, I've, I've quit this book you know, three times over the last few years, so one more, <laughs> it's, it's no one more time. My, my previous 50 years of buying Captain America didn't seem to matter then, so it's, you know, quit, quit what Liefeld was doing it, quit uh, Remender quit Hail Hydra. So, what's one more? Maybe you and Cap just need a little break, right? I've had too many breaks. I want to read me some Captain America. He's my second favorite character ever. Alrighty. Well, maybe this is maybe this is it. Maybe maybe it'll turn around, and uh, I'm definitely going to keep reading it for a little bit, and uh, we'll see how it pans out. Alrighty. Enough with the comic books. Let's talk about some movies or movie in particular. Marvel's <laughs> Ant Man and the Wasp. You like that? Movie Came about out... a comic book. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen. I don't make the rules here. All right. I just enforce them. I have an outline. We're gonna stick to it. <laughs> Ant-Man and the Wasp came out this past weekend. It made a little bit of money. You might have heard about that. Um, we will do like we always do with these movie review podcasts where we will talk non-spoilers first for those of you who have yet to see the movie, uh, generalities only. And then when we want to get into spoilers, we will call it and we will let you know, we'll give a countdown and you will have time to opt out of the podcast and, or go see the movie, come back and listen to the rest, which we hope you do. Uh, and that's how it works. So, for now, non-spoiler thoughts on Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, I will... You know what? Um, Jess, you only saw half the movie, right? <laughs> you see the yes. Ant-Man half or the Wasp half? <laughs> yeah, I only got to see half the movie because I, unfortunately, got super sick in the middle of it and had to run out of the theater and make my poor husband also only see half of the movie as well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I can review half of it. The first half that I saw, I did enjoy. <laughs> so... There you go. So are you going to leave us before we get to spoilery thoughts? Yes, I am. I am going to leave okay. you before we get to spoilery thoughts because I would yeah. like to see the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. so, so you don't know, you don't know any, like... Where without without uh, never mind. Just give yeah. us your general impressions. Um, my general impressions is that I did enjoy it. I thought, you know, I I, I like Paul Rudd. I'm not gonna lie. So I'm I'm okay with that. I like the humor that went on in it. Um, I unfortunately, like I said, I I started to get sick. So I I I don't think I have a very good um objective view on it because it got a little like blurry uh, at points. Um. I, I want to see it again, <laughs> but it is, I do want to see the end of it. So it wasn't like I watched half of it and it was like, oh, I'm not going back to see this. I'm like, oh, like now I you know what, what it happens. was? It was all those wiener dogs from your vacation. <laughs> it, was, it was all the wiener dogs. 
it was it was the extra wieners. No, I think it was maybe you know eating way too much popcorn really quick. I don't I don't know. I'll do it. It was it was not good, and uh, I'm very sad. <laughs> so that's my <laughs> honest review. Is I'm sad because I did not get to. It, it was I thought I thought the beginning was funny. You know, uh, I I I thought it was interesting, and then I I lost it once I got sick. So. <sighs> All right. Well. <laughs> Why don't you, uh, you can either hang around or you can get out of here and I can, uh, I can text you when we need you to get out of here. Yeah, go ahead. Guys, enjoy it. All right. I'll throw you, I'll throw you a text in a a little bit. All right. Sounds good. Bye. 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 Professionalism. We have. Um, Melissa, let's hear your thoughts. Did you see it? I did. Yay. We did a, we did a whole, a whole family viewing. It's a family friendly film. Um, yeah, my general feelings are uh, it was really fun. Uh, I thought it had really great pacing. Um, <clears throat> it was very, very even. Uh, well-rounded superhero film. Uh, I think it kept in the right tone for how Ant-Man fits in the MCU. Uh, maintained and improved on the comedic feel of the first one. I think they did a great job with character development and exposition in particular. Uh, they handle a lot of information and backstory in this, uh, including for Ghost, in creative and uncomplicated ways. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was a lovely addition as Janet Van Dyne. Overall, I think this Ant-Man ranks above the first one for me. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I think I would agree. As far as I can go without spoiling, because I'm really bad at not spoiling things. All right. Um, I'll go I'll go super quick and then we'll get to Bob. Uh, I really, really loved it. I had a lot of fun with this movie. Uh, I appreciated that it was a fun, condensed storyline. It was very personal and lighthearted. And after big, big movies like Black Panther and then especially after Infinity War, it was nice to go to a little corner of the Marvel Universe where there's jokes and people are smiling and there's still some like rather serious uh, character development going on. So I really appreciated that. I thought Paul Rudd was absolutely as charming as ever. And I've never noticed this about him before, but I took note of it during this movie. He is a very good physical actor. Like in addition to being charming and affable and all those things like he does a good job kind of moving around with his body there's one point in the story where uh he's not himself and he he kind of transforms and i was just i was dying i was dying during those moments they were fantastic um evangeline lily i thought was outstanding as hope i really appreciated um how the wasp received equal if not more screen time than i'd say Rod's more ant-man yeah, I thought, I thought there was more as well. They should just um, call it the Wasp and Ant-Man. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll skip that part because that's uh, that's for the end. Let me see. Uh, I loved the chase sequences. I loved kind of the, the madcap nature of the movie and, and how zany it was at times. Uh, let's see. The uh, size-changing technology I thought was awesome. All the different ways that they had fun with that. Uh, like you said, Melissa, the pacing, the suspense, and um, I think that might be all I've got for uh, non-spoiler stuff. I just, I had a really good time, and I really appreciated that it felt like a true, like an honest uh, ensemble film, and not something as daunting as an Avengers, or even something like Guardians of the Galaxy, 
where you're just you're still getting to know these characters because they haven't had as much screen time as some of the others. And some of the performances are just as powerful and as good as some of the other stuff in the Marvel Universe. And, you know, like you said, Melissa, I think that if I had to put one above the other, if somebody forced me to, I would say that I had a lot. Like, I love Ant-Man, but Ant-Man and the Wasp just did so much right for me uh, that I, I just really, really thought that it was a fantastic movie. Uh, Bob, what did you think? Well, I, I found this to be just very, very enjoyable. It revisited the strengths of the first film without straining to hit the same beats, which happens far too often. And in doing that, found new angles for drama and humor. Themes of family and all its permutations uh, still at the top of, top of the list here. And the addition of young mom Janet and dad Hank, I think that hit home even harder we, in Ghost, Ava, we have uh, an antagonist without world-conquering ambition, just an, ag- an agonizing personal problem, mm-hmm. and the solution to which ties a lot of the plot threads together. So that's really clever to get that sort of bottle story going. Uh, I also agree with both of you that I don't think it lagged at any point, except we may have gone around the block one too many times, literally around the block one too many times in that chase sequence. That's just for <laughs> me. Um Action sequences also beautifully staged, you know, some just saying some nice superhero physics. And I thought it was a really wonderfully graceful yet forceful fighting style created for Evangeline Lilia. Really think what she did work well. Mm-hmm. Performances straight through all the supporting players, very, very winning. Uh, Ms. Lily seemed to be having a fabulous time as the MCU's first female lead, I gotta say. And her deeper emotional moments were just as sublime as, as those were. Uh, I found Michael Douglas, just as the last time, just absolute bona fide movie star turn. Uh, He's with, so good. With tremendous depth. And now that you bring Ms. Lily's role up, they're duets, in essence. It's just a wonderful song. Every To me, every bit as good as the first, maybe better. It's going to depend which one I see next uh, again. Uh, nice serial comic tone serves the plot, the characters, and the audience well. And you add Janet to this, that extra emotional resonance really helped keep things fresh. Yeah, I got a big Hmm. kick out of it. Um, And before we move into spoilers, I forgot to say that uh, I thought Hannah John Kamen was fantastic as Ghost. I've been watching her on the show Killjoys for uh, the past couple years. So it was a lot of fun to see her like up like in the spotlight on the big time playing a Marvel villain. And I really liked that Marvel found... a a way to make a villain that had a different kind of depth to them with her, Mm -hmm. the whole thing about her getting uh, pulled from the quantum uh, realm or or blasted by quantum energy. And as a result, her body is kind of constantly in a state of flux where it's, it's pulling itself apart and putting it back together again. And it's a very painful, almost like a fibromyalgia for superheroes kind of thing. Are we going into spoilers at this point? Just about. Yeah, I mean that's not a spoiler. Okay. I didn't. Well, I don't think so. Um, I feel like it. It takes a little bit of mystery out of who Ghost is. That's all. All right. Well, deal with it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um. All right. Yeah. I guess we'll just we'll move into spoilers now. And uh, if I spoiled Ghost for you, I apologize. <laughs> um. So, anybody have any spoiler talk that they want to get out? I mean, just to comment on what you just said, I think Ghost 
was barely even a villain in my eyes. I mean, she was she was kind of just more of a desperate victim making bad choices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the the time period during which she was a villain was um it was strange. It was like she she was doing kind of villainous things, but she really didn't like she really didn't become too villainy until the very end of the film. Um, most of the time it was, I, 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 I mean, I'd say she I'd say, was willing to kidnap a child. Yeah. Which happened at the end of the film. Like she, she was pretty much just thieving. <laughs> this is the most, Lots the most spare parts. Yeah. Yeah. It's the most villainy that she was doing. I loved, I loved her as a character. I'm just saying like, you know, it's an, she's an interesting choice as a villain um, because she she was barely a villain, which is I I found very interesting. You know, she wasn't mm-hmm. like twisting the mustache and wah ha ha. She was, well, she was certainly be... more of a villain than Walter Goggins' character, which you know, for all that they had some funny moments with him. I mean, he was yeah. ultimately forgettable. Yeah, yeah. I think in the, in this movie, amongst a lot of other great people, um, he was far underused. Go... He's an excellent actor. Yeah, he is. He is. He's very good. Like him in Justified, I think was the first thing that I saw him in, and he was in Tomb Raider. Um, and I think on that point, like one of the we taught, we all kind of mentioned, I think the pacing in this film. Um, mm-hmm. I I was really impressed with the way that they juggled everybody. I mean, they have three different, I guess you could say, enemies, right, coming after this group, coming after the Ant-Man and the Wasp throughout the film. You have the FBI. You have Walton Goggins um, character whose name I cannot remember. Sonny Birch. Um, oh, that's it. Sonny Birch. Yeah. Thanks, and then you also have um, and then you also have Ghost, which could easily have sort of turned into a like, you know, uh, we're just plopped right out of my head, you know, old English comedy show with a killer rabbit. <laughs> Monty Python. <laughs> yes, thank you, Bob. Yeah. Could have easily turned into a Monty Python type like mess of people, you know, kind of all chasing them. But they 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 worked it out really well. They balanced it well to where like it didn't get too messy, even when you had all of them sort of attacking at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Like there was that great sort of you know, there's that great car chase when they just kind of uh, reminded me a little bit of Deadpool, you know, or like they're trying to get away. And like you've got the FBI guy chasing them down, and then Ghost shows up, and then the FBI, or and then uh, then uh, Walton Goggins is there, and like, and they're all kind of coming at them at once. And I thought this could just turn into a big clusterfuck, but it didn't. They 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 juggled it really well, and I appreciate that it didn't just turn into like a circus, you know, mm-hmm. a circus of baddies. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the chemistry between Atman and Wasp in this one in particular too was uh, felt a little bit more genuine this time around. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely deepened. Very much uh, screwball comedy, 30s thing like His Girl Friday, whatever. Very sharp, clever dialogue back and forth. Nicely, nicely played. Mm-hmm. I liked um, Michael Pena uh, as uh, Louise also. <laughs> like, it would have been very easy, I think, for Marvel, because he was such a breakout character from the first one, to maybe push the envelope with him and run the risk of going a bit too far like mm-hmm. a bit too much of him or just making him wackier than he needs to be sort of thing. And I don't think that they fell into that trap for this. I really enjoyed his contribution to this and how much he, you know, became a part of the action toward the later parts 
and everything and his his story time with louise oh my yeah, god that he had when so he was taking the, the truth serum bit was so good so funny it was so funny that my kid noticed and talked about Louise on the way home. I didn't think Max would notice that character one bit. And he was like, Louise tells good stories. He was just talking about, yeah. like, you like Louise? He's like, yeah, I like Louise. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we just saw a movie about superheroes, but you like the guy who tells funny stories. <laughs> Talks like the Micro Machine guy. <laughs> um, oh, sorry, Steve. Were you going to say nope. something? No, I was just going to ask... Um... If anybody has anything else they want to say, or does anybody have any any nitpicks? Because I have one. I have a few, but I want to talk about the stuff that I like more first. Okay, go ahead. Before I start nitpicking, because I nitpick a lot on the show. <laughs> um, I thought the character development for Scott was really great, and this one, um, I, they immediately sort of started off the film showing how he's grown and he's been a little banged up by his experiences as the Ant Man. You know, he's a little hurt. Uh, he's he's really trying to make his daughter the top priority. I thought that was really nice that they really they immediately like let you know that that Scott's grown and become kind of a different person um, in his experience. And uh, the the comedic moments were really really perfect. You know, um, I love especially that this film showed a little bit of self awareness and that you know um, it's packed with all kinds of Hollywood sciencey gobbledygook. <laughs> um, a lot of techno babble, yeah. Yes, but they 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 like they they recognize that, um, and and that it's it's ridiculous to a certain extent. I think there's even there's a comment by Scott at one point in the film where he says like he asks um he asks um Hank Pym, does do you just put the word quantum in front of everything yeah. and expect yeah. us to believe it? You know, <laughs> which they kind of do. Um, I like that this film started off with some excitement and action. The first one definitely had a, a long, slow burn, which I didn't realize as much until we kind of like we went back and tried to rewatch the first one recently with Max to sort of prepare him for the story. And he was so bored through the first half of the movie. It was, <laughs> he kept asking us if the movie was going to be over soon. And we're wow. like, oh, man. OK. <laughs> and then once it got going, he was really into it. But I forgot kind of how much of a slow burn the first one was. Um, this one started out a little bit more fun. And I think that they improved that as well. Um, and I really uh, I really enjoyed that there was a mature, long-lasting love story at the center of it. I think that's something we don't get enough of in Hollywood. It's always, you know, young, perfectly attractive teen love stories. Um, and I, between Hank and Janet. Yes, yes. Okay. I thought it was really sweet that, like, that their kind of, their love and their, like, long, you know period of having to exist without each other in these really extremely trying circumstances that that kind of became the center and the a, a little bit of the anchor of the story you know yeah mm -hmm. so the, the audience i saw it with since we're into spoiler territory when they finally get together in the quantum realm there was hooting and applauding and mm -hmm. yes that's what it's about again you open with them young and it's it's Little Hope with, with her mom and dad. They're going off on a mission. You then cut to Scott and Cassie as they play slide down the fire escape as if they're shrinking, looking for stuff, the MacGuffins. That's where this movie does have its heart. It, it is in those relationships and, and how they play themselves out across years and changes 
And when you see eventually, as we get near the end of the movie, Hope and Cassie and Scott together, and you can see it'll pass through again. And in that sequence with Hank and Jen near the end, some really heartfelt things going on in what is, in essence, a clever caper picture. But it's those other things that make it stick, make make you really mm-hmm. feel something for it. I expected there to be a little bit more drama between um, this is not a complaint, just a kind of like a surprised that there wasn't a bit more drama like when they finally got in touch with Janet uh, by way of Scott. That's she was hysterical. so oh, it was it was great. And it was a fantastic scene. I just I was a little surprised by how matter of fact and know like where the hell have you been? You know, it was all just like, you know, let's do this thing. Let's get me out of here. It's it's fine. I'll you know I'll wait. No big deal. Um, I thought that was a little weird, but again, not a not a complaint. Um, I have something with Janet's character that I'll I'll get to in a little bit. Uh, let's see, Bob. Would you like to uh, add any more? Sure. Positives? Yeah. Oh, love that with with Cassie. You're foreshadowing her future because in, in two different points, both with her dad and later on at the drive-in w- with Hope. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to help people. Mm-hmm. Well, she'll be a superhero one of these days. And by the time we get to another Ant-Man movie, because it did say at the end of the movie, Ant-Man the Wasp will return. Maybe it'll be Wasp and Ant-Man next time. Maybe we'll we'll see Stature. And that'll that'll be great. Yeah, until they kill her. <laughs> so no, she's back. Well, right? They don't, I mean, they don't have to, but she does yeah. die. So this is true, but she also came back too. That's true. Yeah. Well, I, we'll again, we'll there was lots of. Okay, we're staying positive for right now. So some of those positive though are really emotional. You know. Jen's last words being, you know, tell Hope that I love her before she disappears. It's, oh, stop. Don't do this to me. You get to mm-hmm. see Jimmy Woo, which is great for old Marvel S.H.I.E.L.D. fans. He was in the Steranko S.H.I.E.L.D. run. He was one of the major characters. He actually goes back into Marvel's 50s in Joe Manili's books as an FBI agent back then. Again, humor great seeing Bill Foster. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne, who would be Goliath at, at one point. We, who knows? Maybe we'll see that. Those little bits and pieces. Uh, you were saying, Melissa, about Ava Ghost being villainy, but not a villain. Mm-hmm. Until she's finally so desperate. You know, I'm. It's if she dies, she dies, because she's just about to die herself. But until it's, I need what's in your head. It was like, okay, we can do this without. Oh, eventually, eventually, no. We get lots of ant stuff, which is fun, including ants playing the drums, which <laughs> I'm for that. The uh, ants were really fun. Yeah. Uh, the whole, like, ant in the bathtub scene. Yes. Ants in the Altoid containers, giant ants uh, keeping Bill Foster prisoner so Hank can go do what he needs to do. Uh, little Scott in his hoodie running around the school trying oh to retrieve the trophies. Oh, my God, that was trophies. hilarious. Yeah, uh, just uh, again, it's those touches from the first and they're here, but in, in different ways, unexpectedly in some cases. And that made that made it work for me. What do you what what else does everybody else have? So before we go goofy, 
Um, I just want to make sure that I <laughs> mentioned that I thought that uh, Lawrence Fishburne as Dr. Bill Foster was great. I, th- I thought he lent some real weight uh, to the other side of the pool for this and uh, his relationship with Ava, I thought was really sweet and really nice. And I liked the kind of the, the fatherly dedication that was there to, to helping her and, and making sure that she was whole again kind of thing. I think if, you know, if you'd gotten somebody else to play that, it wouldn't have had um, as much grounding to it as it mm-hmm. does with somebody like Lawrence Fishburne. Really cool just to see him finally, you know, a larger part or just a big part of the, of the Marvel universe going forward. And I hope, hope that he comes back for either an Ant-Man three or, you know, as a cameo, for Infinity War and whatnot. And uh, I would not be surprised if we see Ghost come back as well um, before uh, Ant-Man 3, if there if there is an Ant-Man 3, we don't know yet. Um, but yeah, I just uh, just want to make sure that I... That I, yeah. cause I, always, I always forget people. I always, like, we always do these shows and then I'm going to sleep that night and I'm like, ah, oh, damn it, I forgot to mention so-and-so. Um, just across the board... I, I thought everybody did an excellent job uh, with this movie and, and bringing some some fun to the Marvel Universe, which uh, it's been a very, very intense place for a little while. Yeah. So. And, and this is, you know, we'll get to one thing that ties into it directly, but lots of mentions of Germany and, well, would, would you have come if I called, which was in the trailer, but not in the movie exactly, but it, I was still that line of, you know, we wouldn't have gotten caught, says Hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ava's dad is a throwback. Elias Starr is a character called Egghead. It goes all the way back to Tales to Astonish 38 in Ant-Man's first year. It was certainly based on a, an old movie character that actor Albert Decker played called Dr. Cyclops, who is a mad scientist, a bald mad scientist with a shrinking ray. So it's fun to have that sort of stuff thrown in. I also thought that the quantum realm this time around seemed to have mm-hmm. acquired a whole lot of green Kirby crackle. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're wondering, does that now start to tie into what they're going to do with Captain Marvel and the negative zone and possibly where we'll end up with the FF down the road? Possibly. Got some negative zone going on. I feel like this, I mean, this movie in general definitely had a very, like, you know, golden age classic comic book feel to it. Yeah, absolutely. Which is kind of cool, because if you think about it, like, stylistically, that was super heavy in Thor Ragnarok, right? It was all those throwbacks to sort of, like, the visual mm-hmm. feeling of those old comic style. And this mm-hmm. one kind of encompassed it more in the um in the writing and the the dialogue and sort of like what was happening. Right. Um did yeah. I, um did either of you see it in 3D? No. no. Oh, okay, I did. The um the Quantum Realm 3D stuff in particular was very 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 cool. Uh as well as the like the machine that they were using to go into the Quantum Realm that they were building. Oh, the Tunneler. Um, yeah, yeah, it always it always looked like when we saw it, it looked really good on screen. Um, I'm very, very nitpicky when it comes to 3D and how it's used. They did a very good job with uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, for sure. Marvel usually always does, but you never know. You never know. Uh, all right. Uh, anything else? Are we ready to nitpick? I only yeah. have one thing, but um, 
if, Melissa, if you want to go first. I have three small things. And I want to specify that they're nitpick because I really did enjoy this movie. But they're just small things that I thought of later. Because I feel like, you know, and no matter how much you enjoy a movie, I feel like mm-hmm. a fair way to criticize it is to sort of look for, you know, what were moments that I felt not so excited or happy about something. Um, so, yeah, the the science I already mentioned was, man, it was all over the place in this one. <laughs> <laughs> they played super fast and loose. And I know it's 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 the MCU. You know, I get it. Um it's not supposed to be realistic. I just, I just, for a majority of this movie, I couldn't keep up with what the hell they were talking about anymore. I was like, I, whatever, quantum stuff, okay. <laughs> and they were just kind of constantly throwing new things in, you know, like, well, now we can do this. Well, now we can do that. Well, guess what? We also have this, you know. So just a lot of like, I couldn't stop thinking about, yeah, that building and like, how would you really shrink and expand a building like that without things oh, falling apart? <laughs> don't don't go down that road. I'm sorry. I just like, you know, it's just a building. Like, I'm not really sure no. how that's working. But okay. okay. Anyway, small. I know it's a small little nitpick, but I just felt like in particular, this movie was like, yeah, seriously fast and loose with the science stuff. Um, ghost. Uh, I have a little nitpicks about Ghost. I hate to say because I was really excited about her um, and interested in her and not not that I didn't like her because I really did. But there were some things that felt a little unbalanced to me about her her character development and like who she was and and what was happening with her. Just things that left me feeling a little baffled. Um, Like the my first example is kind of like the first time that she meets up with the group. Right. And that weird, intimate kind of like almost gentle way in which she approaches Scott in the beginning um, where she like intentionally kind of keeps him awake and has this like private conversation with him um, mm-hmm. and kind of like fondles his, his face really gently and talks to him. Just, it gave the idea that like there was some kind of special interest in him. And, and then after that moment, I felt like it was never alluded to or mentioned again. Um, so it almost like kind of made me feel like, there was going to be something more to that, but nothing ever came of it. And I was kind of confused about what that whole moment was about. Um, maybe she was just trying a different approach. I guess maybe it just didn't seem to fit with like what happened in the rest of the film is what I'm saying. You know, like she never went there. She was never that in that state of mind again. And she never kind of like, she never had that kind of gentleness about her again. So, um, it would have been cool, you know, because I think she is a very layered and nuanced villain. So uh, it almost left me just kind of feeling a little bit like, oh, I want to see a little bit more of that side of her, you know, um, like she seemed very curious in in what was happening instead of just like this. Which brings me to my other my other nitpick is basically just that I felt like she made a really blunt and fast switch from being like a smart and careful villain who seemed to have kind of big plans to do things or whatever and then kind of immediately going off the rails and becoming unhinged villain who wants to attack a child you know it was like it was a little bit jarring Mm -hmm. um and i just would have liked to see her character be slightly like Mm -hmm. better balanced and more of a you know more of an actual character and not kind of it made her feel a little bit more what's the word i'm looking for um caricature you know than what she really deserves because she's really a really cool a cool like nuanced character so Do you think that maybe she kind of ramped things up because she realized that her best laid plans had kind of 
gone to crap and she's she's gonna die and if she doesn't oh, step yeah. it up oh yeah and and i and i understand the feeling i understand the feeling of urgency that built in her i understand mm-hmm. that but there's a difference between that and suddenly going like i'm gonna go get his daughter you know she just like quickly like turned into kind of like the psychotic villain who's got like she's dead she's desperate I, yeah yeah I, I was wondering could there be a missing scene I understand it. Something it that just got felt cut, blunt, maybe. is what I'm yeah. saying. Mm-hmm. It felt what? quick and blunt. So okay. I don't know. Uh, my and my last my last little nitpick is with Hope and Hank. I just gotta say, gotta say this, Hope and Hank. I have a problem with their attitude with Scott <laughs> about his protection of his daughter and his freedom, which enables him to stay in her life and be a good parent. And they had this ongoing sort of attitude with him about that. That is less important than their mission to rescue Janet, uh, which bugged me a little bit. Cause it's like, you're, you, you want your mom back, but you're making this guy feel guilty over and over. He was constantly having to apologize for making his family the priority and like having to make that choice. Um, and I would, I would think that they would be maybe not Hank, right? Cause he's got a bit of a, a a reputation for being a little bit of an asshole but <laughs> but hope like i would hope that they would be a little bit more understanding with the struggle that he goes through and the fact that like janet was lost in the line of duty right and and that's mm-hmm. how she lost and that's how hope lost her mom so like they, that they would be a little bit more sensitive about the fact that 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 could also happen to scott at any point in time while he's doing all of these Good things point. to help them that he could be lost as a parent forever you know mm-hmm. and there was oh, this there was this ongoing like struggle between them of like right up to that last scene where he has to walk out, right? He has to leave them in the lab when they're in the middle of like the FBI is coming, everybody's coming and he has to walk out and like, they don't even want to look at him. Like they're so disappointed that he's leaving. And he has this kind of look of like defeat on his face. Like, oh, I'm so sorry yeah. that I have to do this. And it's like, you don't be fucking sorry. Like they're, <laughs> they're trying to rescue their mom. Like they're the whole point of the thing is about the, the, the strength of family. Right. And like keeping family together and they're rebuilding their family. And he's trying to hold his family together desperately. Like I just wanted them to be a little more understanding with that. And it bothered me that he had to keep kind of apologizing and feeling bad about choosing his daughter. Okay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> absolutely great no it's a great point it's absolutely a great point very it, it just confused yeah. me it was like i don't understand because the whole movie is based on this idea but why do they keep like kind of acting like he sh- like he shouldn't be choosing his family over them because they're they're selfish and flawed and they're they're arrogant yeah. to a to a degree you know yeah. like the both yeah. of them like she uh, hope is not exempt from that like she is her her father's daughter or whatever the hell the saying is like sh- they're both I think a, a lot of this movie is about desperation and, and selfishness between the ghost character and them looking to get Janet back. And all of these things are on the line. And this whole thing is going down with almost with everybody sitting on a ticking time bomb because there's only so many hours left in the window where they can get their lives back on track. You know, if Scott doesn't make it back to the house before the agent shows up, he's screwed. If they don't get Janet back within the two hour window, the very long two hour window that they had, <laughs> she'd be lost forever, you know, and there's all this. They all did a lot in that window, going. didn't they? <laughs> they yeah. did. They did. But I think and I'm and I'm like, I'm not trying to make excuses for the characters or anything. I just I think that when when so much is on the line, people do get 
selfish and that it's a it's a unfortunately a natural thing to 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 be like you know like we have this thing where we're about to get our mother like you know what's the cassie will still be alive well she'll still be on this earth if you don't show up to your you know your appointment or whatever it is if they drop in on you right. um but she'll be another yeah. hope She'll no, be, I know, she'll but like be another just, lost kid without a parent. <laughs> I mean, I kind of like I kind of enjoy it to a degree yeah. because it it gives them a little bit more of a humanity. Like if I don't I I don't know. I I I sometimes I like it when good people do bad things because I think it makes them a bit more complex, which makes me more interested in them. Again, I'm not making excuses for their mm-hmm. actions because they were they were very shitty towards Scott, and I totally agree with you 100%. Um I just I don't know how everything would have worked out if they were if everybody was always willing to cut everyone loose to go and do their respective parts of the plan. They're all kind of depending on one another. And I really like the way that the movie balanced all of that stuff, even with the drama. Which brings us back to another good point that we haven't said about this movie yet. The fact that, like, as far as the Marvel Universe goes, the the risks here, um, using the wrong word, but is is very small. Right. Yes. We're not we're not talking about the universe exploding or or people being erased from. We're talking about like they might get this woman back who they thought was dead forever anyway. You know, Mm -hmm. that that's that was the center of like what was at risk. And so I thought that they did a really good job of making that feel a lot bigger. Right. (laughs) You know, it was a lot about reunions. Yeah. In a way. Um, Bob, you sound like you've been looking to jump in for the last couple of minutes. <laughs> no, uh, nitpicks. I have one major something. Well, I think we'll all chime in about eventually. Uh, if this takes place where I think it does in the timeline, because it comes after civil war, there's a lot of sweating about three days and so on and so forth. While everything is apparently going to hell in a handcart in New York, isn't it? Because <laughs> <laughs> they don't watch CNN or whatever. When the aliens are invading New York, but you know, not, not so much. I I also agree with some of the, as I mentioned before, the superhero physics at play here. I'm sorry that building would fall apart. <laughs> just, just, you can't just do that all so many times. Uh, John Byrne uh, did a, a story in, in I think it's FF 247 to 50, whatever. That's a sort of stand-in Superman character who actually is picking up the Baxter Building. From the uh, lifting it up in the air and read, of course, because he's a scientist looking out the window. That's not possible. The whole building would fall apart in his hands. You can't just pick it up without the foundation of it. And that's kind of like here. Unless you, you, you go down an office building that size, another couple of hundred feet into the into the ground and the supporting pipes. and the, It's like, all right, you know, it's a movie, though. But it is, exactly. it is, it is, it is kind of when you just keep going for it over and over again. It's the purloined building. Uh, it's kind of kind of goofy. Had, I had, loved the. They building. had no plumbing in that building. <laughs> yeah, apparently not. No infrastructure of any kind. <laughs> for all of the wacky crap that we've been accepting for the last ten years, you guys are gonna draw I mean, the line at a building. You're, ta- you're talking yeah. about a movie, right? Where we have like they're talking to ants, and ants are doing things for them, and ants are taking baths and playing drums. So yeah, we're we're <laughs> we're nitpicking we're, we're all I love the building. No, because I have I have something too. It's not. I'm cool with the building, but there was one other thing that I thought was maybe a little lame. Um, and I'll just, I'll put it out there the real quick. The size was stretchy. That's all. Yes, Here, well, that's yeah, and, here's, and here's the thing, okay? 
the end, the end, once they get Janet out, right? She She's out, and you get this kind of E.T. Fingers moment with Janet where she she heals Ghost, okay? She, she puts her fingers to her temples, and she kind of mind melds with her, and she uses her know-how from the quantum realm. Hey, don't get Spock involved he- in this. Yeah. Was that? Don't I said, don't get involved. Spock involved in this. <laughs> <laughs> I just... It like, I thought it was. I I would have I would have liked to have seen. Like I know that she was short on time. I know I know that time was a factor. I just what does that mean for the Janet character without knowing that there's a sequel? Without knowing whether or not Janet or whoever plays a part going forward with you know Infinity War coming and supposedly them kind of rebooting or or kind of doing a, a, a reset to the to the Marvel universe in general how do you how do you explain those powers that she now has clearly well, she has she mentions uh, to Hank that she's not the same woman it's right adaptation it's evolution and I think it's it's script shorthand to have her be able to quickly do that. Yeah, I took, I took the whole, like, evolution comment as saying, like, I have new powers. Yeah, I would have liked for her to have been, like, just hang with me for about an hour. I have an idea. And, and, and instead of the, the, the E.T. fingers. She had I just feelings, Steve. She was a neat idea. Yeah, she has feelings. I have feelings, too, Melissa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in, in all seriousness, though, it is the smallest smallest nitpick that i can give it's just one of those things where i was kind of like yeah really all right i guess we gotta end this thing right okay um but it's the smallest of small things um i really overall thought that the movie was fantastico um does anybody want to give their final thoughts i'm going to text jess now yes because what i what i want to talk about is uh, uh, melissa go ahead i don't know if you want to talk about the same thing i do but I, I got to ask if anybody oh, else was as shocked ending, about ending, the end ending. credit scene. Okay, okay. I, I was shocked. I did not expect it at all. I honestly totally forgot that there needed to be a tie-in. Mm-hmm. I totally I forgot. forgot too. I totally forgot. I totally forgot. I, 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 and I was not spoiled on it. A friend of mine told me the end credit scene made her gasp out loud. And, and like, and she was upset by it. And I thought, all right, so that's all I know. But I told it. Mm-hmm totally caught me off guard i was like oh what 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 Bronwyn, Bronwyn and i grabbed each other's hands with our mouths open we were just like what my poor kid my poor yeah. kid he's See? just like he got through the whole movie and then at the end of the movie he's just I looking want... at me like where's ant man where where's where's wasp I'm like i don't know what to tell you buddy <laughs> i don't have all the marvel answers i don't know he's like what's gonna happen now I don't know. You, you know who does, though? Um, Kevin Feig. Yeah. Let's go get him. I, def- I definitely want to address that because the audience I saw with, there was a lot of buzz, some very animatedly unhappy folks. And one mom I spoke to said that she probably should have left with her kids sooner. Yeah, it tied into Infinity War. Did it have to? And it, it, in that way, I kind of found that unnecessary and it kind of spoiled a really fun evening it gave you this other thing but with with just so much of the tone of the movie being upbeat and happy and everything else that sort of 
it's a lump of coal in your stocking. For me, it's also kind of bad business in that for the MCU's first sort of female-led film, you might have a lot of new young fans in the seats. And I'd imagine that scene, as as you're saying, Melissa, would be devastating to a lot of them. Now, I've already warned in a non-spoiler way friends with youngsters that they should maybe leave after the drive-in and the beach house scene. No! Yes! You're going to take. You're going to go home and explain this to a seven or eight year old. That I mean, the, the people they were just uh, invested in for an hour and a half are what dust. And oh, I, wait two years, you may get to see another movie. I'll tell you what all of us are saying to our kids. Right? None of those people that turn into dust are really gone. They're all coming back. We don't know if they're going to, but by next year, our kids are going to forget about it. So that's that's what I've told my kid. Like I, we don't know. Like they went somewhere. I'm, you know, like, I'm not going to let my kid assume that all the people he thinks are amazing in Marvel Universe are now dead. But, you know, I mean. Look, back in my day, we, we had movies like The NeverEnding Story where Hortense died. I had to get over that, damn it. Well, yeah, they but you get... didn't watch seven movies about him. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like I did. I was connected to that horse. <laughs> Okay, I was too. I cried about the horse about five times after watching that movie, but still. The movie's so good. Oh god, the movie's so good. Um yeah, I'm I I can see where you're coming from. I am I am not a I am not a fan of the uh of the kid shield. I uh I think they can handle it. I think I think I think it'll be all right. They gotta learn sometime. Uh, I still say it's, And I'm I also still, not a parent. Yeah, I also still say it's bad business. I mean, at my end of things, I just look at that as you're you're exposing a new audience to a new character who you're hoping to, no pun intended, get things moving in in a new different direction for this universe of characters, and you you put an axe in her <laughs> to the thing before it's even begun, before people even have a chance to live with the character. So that's just me. I'm just an old crank, but. Uh, I mean, we did just get a whole movie with her, though. Yeah, now, you can, go, now you can go to a funeral. Yeah, but she's going to be back. We and don't even say it at the end of the credits. Ant-Man and the Wasp will return. Maybe the ghost, They're totally going to be back in Infinity War. The ghost is going to have to pull something out and save them. Now. I think she's going to be in Infinity War Part 2 as well. That's my prediction. I, will, I, think she's I would love to see her developed a little bit more. I would. She's gonna she's gonna phase right through Thanos and grab his heart and squeeze it. It's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be awesome. It didn't work for the vision. That's <laughs> true. That's true, actually. Well, the vision can be taken back down by one particular sword. So he's, he's we we had that conversation. He's not as powerful as we thought he was. He was having a he spent was having an, an entire movie limping. So. Yeah. <laughs> Poor vision. Yeah. Uh, oh, before we leave, I, I want to shout out to Colin from Sayville, who was sitting next to me watching me take notes on this. <laughs> when, oh. when, 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 are you taking these notes for yourself? No, it's part of the Talking Comics podcast. So if you're listening, Colin, hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're waiting for Jess to uh, join us. Let's move on to you <laughs> are back. Hooray! Hey. No waiting. All right. Did you just send me a Forrest Gump gif? Yes, of him running, running back. Nice, nice. Good job. Good job. I appreciate you. 
All right, so we have some hot listener questions for this week's podcast. This one comes from Meegsy3. Megs. Sorry. Her name is Megs. <laughs> well, what's the A doing there then? It's, her name is spelled. It's, her name is Megan. It's spelled M E A. Oh, that's kind of cool. All right. On a deserted island, you can only bring three comic books and go. Jess, since you haven't been here for the past little oh, while. I get to go first. So yep. I have a question on this, though. I had a problem uh, with this. Is this is this mm-hmm. like I'm going with like omnibuses? OK, because if I'm bringing three, yep. I'm going yeah. with big boys. OK, yeah, all right. All right. As long as we're, we're good on that. I had the so... same question. I was thinking series, but I'm like, wait, it's only one book. Yeah, if I'm gonna go I for it. I asked Bronwyn. I said I was like, are they gonna keep on like are they gonna ship me like in a little bottle, like the new issue every month? Or or is this like I could only take three books forever? And I I think it's you can only take three things yeah. forever. Yeah. So I went with readability for me, you know, things that I know that I've personally read like over and over again. And one is saga that has to come. Saga will always come and I can read that book a hundred times. Don't know. No, why. no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. You know, look. It's not done yet, though. Oh, what are you going to you gonna do? Yes, what are you going to do when you get well, to fifty saying, and you're on the island saying... and you can't get them anymore? Steve thinks but... he can make the rules for everybody. No, no, no I'm not making Jessica. the rules. Bringing, this is I'm the question. That. That's what I'm bringing. I don't care, Steve. Okay, <laughs> right, fine. <laughs> I don't care. I'm bringing it. See, now that's the problem. All my books aren't finished. Like what? I... <laughs> All the books I want to bring. I you're gonna have a, a very unsatisfying reading. I'm I'm considering okay, so I'm not getting stranded on a desert island until these are all completed, okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm bringing <laughs> the omnibuses all together with me, okay? There you go. I've set up my <laughs> that's my setup. So I'm bringing Saga because I can read that a hundred times. I am going to bring see, but that's the thing. I picked only volume one of practice because that was one of my initial ones that I loved and, again, could read a hundred times. And, yeah, that book. And The Omnibus of Deadly Class. Of what? Deadly Class, which is one of my favorites, like, all-time. Deadly Class, you said? Yeah, yeah I can read that. Okay. I've read it, like, four times. <laughs> I have the big book. Wes Craig signed it for me and drew a little picture. It was lovely. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Those are my three. All right. Melissa. <laughs> uh, well... The first one on my list is Saga. <laughs> you both failed. Okay, so, so we failed. <laughs> screw you, Steve. <laughs> uh, saga, yep. I'm I'm like Jess. I'm not going to go to the island until Saga's done. That's my rule. Listen, listen. We're going to the same island we're both Every time, every time that we do listener questions, everyone always bags on me saying that I screw these things up and make my own rules. For once, I'm actually going by the rules and I'm still getting hey. shit. <laughs> my my rule is my rule is I don't go to the island until Saga's done. That's all. All right. <laughs> all right. My second one is East of West, um, because I think it's super rereadable, and there's so much to unpack in that story that I could probably just keep finding new things that I didn't read in it the first five times. <laughs> um, and then the last one I'm gonna pick is Next Wave because I need something just to laugh at. Okay. Yeah. Bob. What would your uh, three books be? Well, I, I did take it that you were going to go for the rules this time, so I I did try to stick single issues. <laughs> Finally! <laughs> Finally! Someone who gets it. So... Fine, Bob. Don't be on our team. Yeah, Bob. I thought you were on our side, Bob. Well, otherwise it would be, yes, it would be, you know, the Lee and Kirby omnibus of the first 50 issues of Fantastic Four, but no. 
I will go with Fantastic, bring it in on a pallet. <laughs> Fantastic Four number 236 by John Byrne, which is called Terror in a Tiny Town, which was the 20th anniversary issue, which revisits the origin. But the, it's a little different. The Fantastic Four are four regular people, along with Alicia, in a little town with regular jobs, living regular lives until they begin having odd dreams of spaceships and crashes and stuff. And Reed's boss at the college is this, this really weird-looking guy who is very arrogant. I wonder who he could be. So we've got that. Then it was gonna. It starts to get really tough. It's where do you want to go with these sort of things? What balance do you want to have? So I could I could list like ten others. Um, Omnibuses are acceptable. No, I I, I will. I, I, I bent it enough only because it only came out in print this way. Bandette Volume 1 by Paul Tobin and Colleen Coover. Nice. Want to have some lightness. Just an adorable story about the world's greatest thief. But then picking, picking a third got to be really, really tough. So... Well, I, I could I could make a big case for Luke Cage Hero for Hire number 9 where he flies to beat up Doctor Doom for $200 he owes him. Or Captain Marvel, <laughs> yeah, he stiffed him on a job, so he goes over there and beats the snot out of him. Um, sweet Christmas. Yeah, uh, sweet sister back then. Uh, Captain Marvel 17 I mentioned last week, but I'm going to go with Wonder Woman Hikettia by Greg Rucka and J.G. Jones. Ooh, my favorite. My favorite Wonder Woman story ever. Nicely done, Bob. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, so if I were stuck on a deserted island and can only bring three comics with me, I would choose the Strangers in Paradise Omnibus by Terry Moore. I am only maybe a quarter of the way through it. I have not read all of it yet, uh, but I would take it anyway because I think that uh, I think that would be grand. Uh, I would also take my Calvin and Hobbes Treasury Collection. Oh. Yes. That is the. You're bringing a treasury sun... collection. Why can't we bring it? Because it's one damn box and it's all collected. That's why. Because <laughs> it's done. It's in a box, so it's collected. That's okay. That's okay. Yes. Right. Okay, so right. my I've got 600 okay. issues of Fantastic Four in a box. That's, that's what I'm Does saying. that count? No, no, no. <laughs> oh, come on. I tried to play by the rules. Look what I got. You Bob, you did. You did the oh, best. <laughs> These are all good answers. These are all good answers. And my last one is um, the new Frontier, uh, the oh, deluxe edition. Yeah. Darwin Cook uh, is my probably my favorite DC story um, that I own, for sure. So uh, something bright and colorful to contrast the black, mostly black and white nature of both uh, Calvin and Hobbes and Strangers in Paradise. The good thing about the Treasury Collection is that it has those Sunday-style pages, and a lot of them are in gorgeous color. So mm. that's pretty awesome. Plus all the extras, all the history of Calvin and Hobbes, all of that stuff. By the way, is very, there very power good. on this island? Is there solar power on the island? Um, so get a, so get a See, Marvel Unlimited or Comicsology. Or... I don't know if like <laughs> I don't know if we're looking at like a you washed ashore situation or if you were went out well, there. In that case, we'd yourself. all be screwed with comic books. <laughs> yeah, comic books are not waterproof. So. This is very Come true. On. You can't read them in the tub either. They were in a plastic bag. They washed. They washed ashore. Some 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 little kids' uh, suitcase. There you go. <laughs> 
All right. Oh, Jess, before uh, I forget, your Saga Deadly Class, what was your third one? Because I can't read my own handwriting because I'm old. Because <laughs> you're old and was the first, just the first volume of Racklins. So that's my favorite. That's what I thought. Okay. And that's one book, Are Steve. You... It's just one book. <laughs> Are you still reading Racklins? Um, kind of. I picked them up. Um, I've been reading them kind of like collectively, though. I haven't been reading them. Like... Is it my imagination? Because I know one just came out like last yeah. week. Is it is it me or did that come back and then it like went away again for months? Yeah, and it's well, back to being had, like intermittent. They've had such issues with that book. It's so sad. It's so sad. So yeah, it did come back. They relaunched it. Then I think it stopped. It went on hiatus for another three months. They've had real issues with you know all the drama that they've had with that book. There's actually I want to watch it. There's a documentary about. Um, that book that just came out i forgot where it is and i forgot what it was called but like i'm like dying to see it because it's about like the whole struggle like how it started and like what went on with it and i'm like dying to watch that because oh. it really is you know it's 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 in, an interesting story about you know and it, it tells the tale of like having a, like a feminist book and then having like you know <laughs> you're one yeah. of your co-creators you know do something kind of horrific so yeah you know it, it's definitely interesting and yeah that poor book has had so many problems so many <laughs> but it really Oof. got me to read like other comics you know that was kind of like my gateway like back into it instead of just reading like weird gothy comics um so it's one of my mm-hmm. favorites so it's coming with me on the island <laughs> all right we have a question from logan roland logan Can you <laughs> Can you imagine a situation in the future in which you would stop reading comics? Yeah. Bob. Um, reading? No. Stop reading comics? No, it never happened. Buying them? That's different. I, I mm-hmm. Having such a backlog of stuff here in the house, it's, it's a, a medium I've grown up with. And they've grown up with me at some level, the old Silver Age of Comics, so... I'd always read comics. If the industry changed or or swung back into the dark days of the 90s and diversity disappeared and oddball books disappeared and we went back to the other stuff, I can see myself cutting buying back a long way, but reading, no. Always read comics. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Melissa, you said no. Um, I said yes. Oh. Or you said you said that yeah you said that you would you could see yourself stop that's what but I, I guess I was thinking of like obtaining comics. I mean Bob kind of made the point that like I guess if you already have them why stop reading them? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean if it came down to food or comics or my kid getting care, then I would stop reading comics. <laughs> yeah. um, basically, if it was financially necessary, I would sure, but you know, I already own comics, so I guess I could keep reading them. I just have to reread a lot of stuff. All right. So my, that answer is very non-committal. I was. <laughs> it's a weird uh, question. It's, yes, it's no, a weird question, yes. Logan. It's a very weird question. <laughs> just, yeah. Uh, just, uh, you what know. Do you think? Uh, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the same path. I mean, I have books that I will read a hundred times over. I'm one of those people that will read a book seven times and be completely happy doing so. So no, I don't think I'll ever stop reading them. But I mean, if there was like like Bob said, if it went back to like 
where there was no diversity, no, you know what I mean? It was all the same, just dudes with, with dudes and women with, <laughs> with big breasts. Like, yeah, I would probably stop buying them. And that would be more of protest, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, I, I'll always keep reading comics. I mean, unless I go blind and then maybe I'll find some in Braille. I don't know. <laughs> you know yeah. I don't know. Audio you know, books. Audio yeah, books. exactly. Audio books, which, uh, you know, I did, I did listen to my first graphic novel on audio book, which was interesting. I, re- I listened to Nimona for uh, the Ladies of Valhalla show. Oh. Yeah, and it was pretty interesting. They had a full cast. It was very good. So, yeah, maybe I'll just start listening to them instead. <laughs> but, yeah, so I'm <laughs> going with that. That dodges the question entirely. Totally, dod- totally yeah. dodging everything. <laughs> um, I I honestly, I think I'm a lifer at this point. I buy my I buy my comics at like 5 o'clock in the morning on Wednesdays because I just can't wait to, to grab everything that I want to read. Uh, we've been doing the show for a long time and I never really read comics, uh, with any regularity before, uh, I joined the talking comics podcast, but I'm, I'm too thick. I'm too thick into it now to ever stop. I, uh, have a little bit of an addictive personality. My newest thing is Legos and, uh, (laughs) I got it. I got it pretty bad. I got it pretty bad. Spending a lot of money couple hundred dollars on Legos the last couple weeks. I'm waiting for the Overwatch ones to come out, Steve. Steve. I'm waiting for the Overwatch ones to come out. I'm dying. It's it's our anniversary. It must be a reason to buy Legos. Hey, remember when you said you wanted that Batman shuttle? Well, we've got it now. And oh, look at this, a $200 Batmobile. It's not the regular one. It's the ultimate one. When you're all done and they're set up, they're going to look so amazing, like all set up. I'm like so jealous. I was talking to Dan. We need to build Legos. <laughs> We're having so much fun make uh, building them together. When Lauren was here, we put together uh, kind of where we're still working on a group project, the Destiny's Bounty from the Ninjago stuff. But like we have some Batman things now. We have an Eiffel Tower. Um, and Bronwyn has never played with Lego up until I got her the, the Ladies of NASA set. So she's relatively new to it and she's just taken to it as well. And it's a nice, relaxing thing to do like we just pop on a movie we watched um rampage the other night which by the way was awesome (laughs) okay it was that movie that movie was was silly but it was good (laughs) it was silly but i'll tell you something it was also smart it was also very smart there were moments in there that it really could have come off one way and they went the complete opposite and i really appreciated that i'm not going to get too into it because we're not here to talk about rampage (laughs) but bob if you love monster movies Mm -hmm. giant monsters wrecking buildings and stuff like that you definitely have to check out rampage because it is a lot of fun and it really kind of sideswipes a couple of tropes more than once and i was kind of oddly proud of the movie at times particularly in some of the dialogue and some of the way that the science was presented like one moment you're like oh yeah okay and then the next i was like wait a minute they're actually using like gloves to handle stuff. Good. And masks. Good for you. Like they never do that in these movies. Anyway, um, rampage, the rock, super good. Um, what were we but, talking uh, about? I, we're talking about giant <laughs> monsters. We went on tangents. <laughs> um, bonus question from Logan. You're starting a new, I like this one. You're starting a new religion. What single comic would you choose as your sacred text? And you can interpret the word comic to mean single issue, full run, graphic oh, novel, etc. See? That's how it's done. <laughs> Put an addendum on that. Um, okay. So I'll I'll go real quick. Um, this might be a predictable one, but if I was going to pick any book 
to base a religion on, uh, I would go with Strange Attractors uh, by Charles Soule and Greg Scott. And the reason is that I absolutely love that book and love what that book deals with in terms of causality and the idea that one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. I am a huge, I have gotten lost in thought uh, thinking about that very thing when it comes to all the different friendships I have, different relationships, everything that led to me being in the right place to meet my wife, uh, what brought me to Canada, all the little things, all the little pieces that fall into place about my sister getting married and marrying Jamie. And then Jamie's cousin was Jay. And that's how I met, uh, you know, eventually met Bob through them and all these things, all these interconnecting pieces. I could see building something around that and, and having it not so much a religion, but more of a philosophy and, and maybe like starting a cult or like <laughs> the cult of the cult of causality. I could do that. <laughs> I've got a little I'll, color I'll, song in my head. <laughs> I'll get everybody's uh, robe sizes before we sign off this podcast. <laughs> I get the one with the extra long sleeves that buckle in the back. Yes. Um, Bob? Well, as to religion as religion, I guess I'm what you would call a practicing atheist with Pastafarian leanings. I mean, why couldn't a flying spaghetti monster <laughs> create the earth, right? Um, infinite diversity and infinite combinations, right, Melissa? That's how Mrs. That's Bach right. would say that. Uh, now, for scripture, yeah, look, I think it works best as a code for behavior more than as dogma. So since to me the only commandment you really need is do unto others is that as you would have them do unto you. So it's about doing the right thing. So I'm saying it's Stanley's and Steve Englehart's Captain America. And whether that's with... Kirby or Gene Colan or Jim Steranko, Sal Buscema, that would be the book at my altar. All right. I like it. Melissa. Oh, I just muted for a second so I could sneeze. You almost caught me. <laughs> All right. I'm excited about this one. I thought about this one as philosophy as well, and it was a pretty easy answer for me, and that is Transmetropolitan, but choose. Um, <laughs> And I found a great uh, quote for you guys uh, to let you know why Transmetropolitan is the perfect religion. Okay. Kind of feels dirty even saying that word in <laughs> connection with Transmetropolitan. Uh, fear will keep everyone in place. These are the words of Spider, by the way. Better Jerusalem. Fear will keep everyone in place. Fear will keep everyone distracted from what's really going on. Let him know he can beat him up. Let him know we could have killed him. Let him know we can destroy him. Let the fear shrivel him up. Fuck that. I'm not afraid of them. They're afraid of me. They're afraid of the truth. Ooh. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Wow. Biting. Topical. Good question. <laughs> Powerful. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I'm down. I'll uh I'll come to a meeting. Come to a meeting? <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna do tank tops instead of robes though. Are you gonna have cookies? <laughs> robes are hot and sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> robes are sticky. I'll bring the. I'll bring there the. There will be cookies, whiskey, and tank tops. That's what's gonna be in my. Oh, <laughs> I'm in. Forget my idea. I'm going to Melissa's thing. <laughs> well, that was easy. All right, uh, <laughs> I'm so impressionable, Jess. So, what is your, what is your religion? Uh, I actually missed this question in the beginning when I was reading through all of this, but um, if I had to go with anything, I don't know if I would 
necessarily pick, I don't know, a single book, but I would definitely go with Wonder Woman, uh, some form of Wonder Woman, because it's about what you believe, you know, what's her quote, it's about what you believe, and I believe in love, and I think that's a, a big thing, that, that love will change the world, and loving yourself and other people is a very important thing, and I think that's what you know, true religion should really be based off of not, you know, uh, some dude in the sky, but uh, loving people for who they are and what they are. Simply. Oh, all right. Amazing. Yeah, be... Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Beautiful. Sorry. Je- I'm going, Sorry. no, forget it. I'm going to Jess's thing. She's going to have the pot cookies. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm, 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 I'm hanging out, you know, on the beach with some, with my, with all of my books on that island. Talking okay. to animals. <laughs> Talking to animals yeah. and loving everybody, okay? You might go to Jess's meeting first for the pot cookies, but then you're coming to my place for the rest of the cookies <laughs> and the tank tops. Yeah. <laughs> See, but that's the thing. I'm going to hang out with Melissa for her tank tops because I'm not going with Rose. I'm very sweaty. Um, you know? We don't do, we don't do boob sweat in my religion. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Okay. We're anti-boob sweat over here. Yes. <laughs> All right. We have one more question before we get out of here. Now that we've gotten onto the topic of boob sweat, Valerian Rants wants to know: I really only started reading comics in general around DC Universe Rebirth, aside from picking up trades of Blackest Night and Grant Morrison's JLA at the library. What runs from the big two would you recommend from before that point? Now, I am not the best person to answer this because I started reading with the DC New 52 and unfortunately have not read a whole lot beyond uh, some Batman and Superman stuff uh, going back, and maybe some Green Lantern too. But um, if you want some good recommendations for before that stuff happened from me, uh, I would recommend the Gotham Central run uh, from Greg Rucka that happened a couple years back. It is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I would also recommend Uncanny X-Force, Rick Remender, and uh, Astonishing X-Men from uh, Joss Whedon as well, if you want to read some some big-time stuff that was kind of influential and fun uh, before that era of both DC and Marvel had uh, rebooted and begun. So um, I think Bob might be a little bit more apt to answer this, but maybe. Uh, let's see. I don't want to get get uh, Valerian here into archaeology or paleontology and go all the way back, but a little bit back. I would say Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four, that three years or so had some really amazing stuff that tied in lots of Marvel prehistory, though, as well. So you can start to put some of that together and a great usage of the family dynamic of of that group. And going back somewhat further, because I think you should have some of this in your life, George Perez's Wonder Woman, where Mm. post-crisis brought the book all the way back and the mythology is there but so is the i new ideas of what that all meant and how it pulled together and he drew not only wrote most of the bits of the first 25 but did the art in the first 25 and then after that you have all sorts of amazing people uh, jill thompson for instance and some really really good stuff so george perez's wonder woman which is his one to 62 all right uh, Jess or Melissa, do you, either of you have any answers for this one? Um, I have, I just, I know I was recommended to read, uh, Gotham by Gaslight and that was great. I thought that was really a fun one. Um, a death in the family stuff that I like a lot of Batman stuff. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at with that. Um, 
but yeah, I I really enjoyed some of the earlier Batman stuff. If you go pick it up, mm-hmm. um, you... go and read Batman Incorporated too. Mm, yeah, <laughs> you don't sound convinced. <laughs> all right, um, Melissa, do you have anything? You no, know I don't have anything for this. That's all right. I don't have anything. Okay, um, <laughs> so. That is going to wrap it up for questions. Thank you very much to everybody who wrote in. We still have a few more that we're going to be using over the next couple of weeks, and we'll likely ask you for even more questions uh, for next week's show. So before we get out of here, uh, let's talk about what's coming onto the shelves and what we're looking forward to this week. Uh, I'll just go quickly. Uh, there's a book called Ruin World that's coming out. Jess, have you seen this? No, no, I actually okay. did not get to look at much what for coming out next week. I'm a little behind. So there is a fox with a big sword. Oh, I'm in. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's a big sword. <laughs> it looks it looks really adorable. It looks high fantasy um, kind of scale scales and scoundrels type of vibe. I mean, this is just from I'm getting from the cover, but the cover was enough to sell me where I looked at it and I went, yep. That's I'm I'm down for that. Who is this being published by? Uh Boom. Oh, it's a Boom book. Mm. Yes. Um so super quick, I also have Eternity Girl number 5, Plastic Man number 2, Farmhand, excuse me, number 1 is coming out this week. Uh I'll skip a few of these cuz I know they're going to come up from other people. Outpost 0 number 1 is coming out. I'm definitely going to give that a look. Uh, I am going to dip my toe into Amazing Spider-Man number one from Nick Spencer. See what's up over there. Curiosity might kill my cat, but I, I, I just I, I, I gotta know. I gotta know. Uh, and then uh, there's some other ones too, but the last one I'll mention is uh, X23 number one. Uh, I believe is Mariko Tamaki is going to be writing the character now, taking over for um, what's his face. The guy, the dude that that did the stuff, he wrote Injustice. Why am I blanking <laughs> the, on this? The it's, dude with the stuff. Okay. It's not Tom King. It's the other one. The other one. <laughs> the that other one. Damn it, Charles Soul. I don't know. Shit. I'm gonna look it up. Who else was? Somebody else go. Uh, very light week, so I'm actually gonna catch up on some of last week's books that I didn't get to because we were so packed this week. But I'm definitely in for Plastic Man two as well. Nancy Drew number two comes out this week. Definitely want to see where that goes. Uh, Ms. Marvel, of course, Squirrel Girl, and Domino number four. Nice. Uh, Steve, I think you might have mentioned Farmhand in there very briefly. Yep. Yeah, that's on my list, too. Um, Nice. uh, What looks to be a crazy and uh, strange new series from Rob Guillory from uh, Chew. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, about a farmer who grows human pieces. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tom Taylor, by the way, that was the guy. Oh, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Um, and, uh, Lost City of Explorers number two, which is, uh, I talked about number one, the last time I was on the mm-hmm. show. Yeah, it was a Looking good one. Looking forward mm-hmm. to that. Um, and Isola number four. Ooh. Yes. Yeah. Is nobody else reading Monstrous? I like to read that in trade. Okay. I I enjoy that. Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. But it is good in the arts. Amazing. Uh, Yeah, I'm picking up all this. I think we're all picking up like uh, the same books. (laughs) 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 You know, uh, I knew that book Farmham was coming out. That looked 
awesomely strange. I was like, yeah, that's that's going there. Um, what else was coming out that I was looking for that wasn't mentioned? <laughs> I am definitely going to get. I know. I, yeah, took, I like, took a lot of the good ones. Yeah, uh, I'll probably get, you know, Nancy Drew number two will go in my bag. Um, like I said, I always pick up Rat Queens. That comes out this week as well. Um, I'm a little behind on that. I'll read them all together. Now there will be Ruin World, and I looked that up, and yeah, I'm in for that. There is a... <laughs> I told it's, you so. Oh, it's like animals. There, One cover has like tentacles, a... Is it a wolf? Is it a, a fox? Is that what it is? Is it a fox with a giant sword? I think it is, yeah. And like a pig getting strangled by tentacles. I'm in. I'm down. Wow. Right yeah, I'm good. <laughs> 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 no um yeah and i think it's a pretty late week for me as well and i'm a little behind so i gotta play catch up from last week so mm, yeah there's still there's a definitely an overflow from last week there were some books i didn't even get to talk about yeah. uh that were really good did you did anybody check out unnatural I number did, one and i was debating on talking about it i'm kind of on the fence on it i want to read number two before i talk about it all right i, then, I read next it time too and i'm come... very on the fence about it yeah yeah there's I'm some not sure things... how i feel about it exactly okay. there's some questionable stuff going on and there yeah, was it's weird right that one cover was a little uh, i don't know if you saw the one cover it's like oh i saw yeah, it yeah I you know what i'm talking about it. i was like okay but uh so yeah i'm a little on the fence i want to read number two maybe number three before i actually make i it feel like i don't i feel like i can't get a grasp on its intention yeah which is going to sort of matter in how i feel about it yeah mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah yeah um, it was definitely it was definitely a strange read for sure yeah. Um, that was not something that I was going to bring to the show without like having read it a second time and definitely s sitting down to take some like fleshed out notes because <laughs> I, I would feel like it would almost be a trap to talk about that book and, and risk screwing it up because there are some, uh, there are some very, yeah, some precarious <laughs> themes in that <laughs> book going on. I th I'll tell you what though, like Mirka Andolfo is is one of my my favorite artists oh, as of late, and I absolutely love the art. Yeah. Oh my god, oh, it's I love beautiful. the art so the much. The art is beautiful. It, it is, but where it's yeah. going? Yeah, <laughs> I just that's the thing. I yeah. don't I don't know where it's going. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. The, All right. The first time oh. when I read the first page of that, my first thought was, is this a book about hentai? <laughs> like, I know. Oh. I know. It like, was, that's yeah. where I thought it was going. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it definitely. I mean, it, it, I'm not sure. <laughs> The style of it um, definitely has a bit of a of a hentai feel to it for sure, um, but it's I mean it's beautiful. I, I, Mirka Andolfo has been doing some really incredible work um, that I've noticed at least over the past year, uh, and to see her doing like this giant uh, exploration of this weird world, it kind of reminded me a little bit of um, like an offshoot of um, what was it uh, Beyond Good and Evil, the old PlayStation mm -hmm. game mm -hmm. that came out. Um, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll maybe we'll have more about that down the road after uh, another issue or two have come out. We've been able to collect our thoughts. Yeah. Um, we need time to, so if, to compress it and eat it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, if nobody else has anything they would like to share, uh, I will start reading the goodbyes. Speak now or forever hold your peace. I've shared enough this week. <laughs> <laughs> I overshared. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you. Yeah, we're good. All right. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. As always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. And don't forget to check out TalkingComicBooks.com for news, reviews, and articles about comics, video games, TV shows, and much more. 
We also have podcasts of every flavor, including Talking Games, Valiant, Adventure, and Ladies of Valhalla, which has a brand new episode coming out this Friday. Uh, You will be able to get that on your regular Talking Comics feed. So if you see an extra podcast in your feed this week, that is the Ladies of Valhalla show. Uh, Jess, you guys talked about Nimona this week, right, Noelle Stevenson? We did. We talked about Nimona and went on tangents and had a grand old time with each other. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and about an hour and 40 minutes of preamble before the show actually starts. We had stopped, I know, and it's your anniversary and you're supposed to go play Legos and and we're like, we're we're all apologizing. We're like, sorry, Steve. On my wedding anniversary. Listen, we had things to discuss, okay? It was important, important lady issues. It was fine. I got to sit and stare at a wall. It was great. <laughs> Sorry. It's fine. No, it was perfectly fine. I got to um, sit and stare at a wall. <laughs> it sounds right. so sad, doesn't it? It really does. Uh, uh, how about you, Melissa? You, I heard you were uh, switching up some things over at the Sirens of Scream, trying a new format. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I didn't know it was newsworthy. I'm sorry. I wasn't... I wasn't ready for that. Uh, yeah, no, I we're just we're just trying to we're just trying to do. We've had a a big uh, pile of guests this year, so you know, lots of like super formal shows. So we're just trying to like keep it casual for a bit. So yeah, yeah, hang out and have have a little more fun. We're we're uh, we just hit two years on the show, so yeah, I'm feeling yeah. congratulations. Congratulations. Yes, yes, by the next time your fiftieth episode will be out, right? By the time you're on next. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I'm just trying to find ways to keep it, keep it free and light and la la la. Whatever that <laughs> yeah, is, really should do. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations Thanks. on uh, all of that stuff. Thanks. The new one. I've only gotten halfway through the new one, but it is just so involving. Just here that you, Jackie, and Sierra, just chatting away about horror stuff of all types and podcasts and true true crime and spiders <laughs> and all sorts of roswell aliens and canadian horror it was a great we beginning have, we have to be careful because it tends to kind of turn into this like encyclopedia of information where you just start blah, 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 spewing out everything that we know about everything well, you just got to take notes when you're listening that's all yeah gotta keep it tight right all right so bob where can our listeners find you Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com on the old-fashioned email. And Melissa? You can find me at Lissa Punch on Twitter and Instagram and on the Sirens of Scream podcast. Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it today. My throat hurts too much. <laughs> but uh, you can find me at Jarska on all things and over at, at what are we, Valhalla Ladies for uh, Ladies Valhalla. Yeah, I'm like, sorry. I have to think. About... It's new. I can't it's remember new. It's new. It's new. I can't remember things. <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> All right. Uh, I am at dead underscore anchorus on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Thank you very much for uh, for joining us this week. We wish you all very well. Be excellent to each other. Do something nice for somebody. Tell somebody you love them. So until next time on Talking Comics Podcast, to be continued. 